Hey everyone, and welcome to the 300th exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. <laughs> and of course, as always, I'm the bad boy of X Men podcasting, Zach Jenkins. Adam. So bad. <laughs> I'm, you know what? There was a song written about me. Hmm. And do you know what it was called? Uh, I think it was called Bad. Um, actually, no, it was called Billy Jean. That's my middle name. Uh, oh, but interesting. Michael Jackson yeah. also did have a song called Bad. Yeah. Uh, so that makes sense. Or, or, or Bad Boys, Bad Boys. What are you going to do, Zach? You know, that could be another one of your themes. It, look, there's a lot of themes. Uh, <laughs> we could, we could go away from the bad part and focus on the boys and we could go with a thin lizzie boys are back in town which by the way folks okay. i know i know that this is an x-men podcast but at some point we need to talk about how underappreciated thin lizzie is in the overall scheme of rock music history and in fact how their harmonizing guitar structure really paved the way for bands like judas priest and especially iron maiden uh in that new wave of british heavy metal you know, there's so many like splinter shows that you really could have launched in the time that we've been doing this program, Zach. You know, just more and some recently, of them were some of them were tried and failed because <laughs> somebody got a job that meant that she could no longer talk about an X-Men anime. That's not what I meant. I mean, that was early, early days. I'm talking about that was your, your Adam, rock. That was mid days. That was mid days. <laughs> I'm talking about your Rocky podcast. I'm talking about your rock and roll history podcast, your HVAC insider podcast. Like all of these things really could be their entire bad boy of X-Men podcasting uh, podcast empire if you really wanted it to be. But then you would never like get off mic. You'd just be recording all the time. Listen, I'd be I'd be living living the podcasting life. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure between all of my listens, we could get sponsorships from the sock people, uh, <laughs> the people. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't listen to that many sponsored podcasts. So I honestly don't know who's sponsoring podcasts anymore. I don't know. It's, it's usually like a mattress or, um, pass per mattress. Yeah. Not a sponsor. I, I don't know. Um, but you know what guys, we're having a little fun here. We have a great show for you today. And you know what? We decided we'd start with some Q and a, Oh yeah. Uh, what, where are we, who asked a question? We got lots of questions. We do have a lot of questions, and we're going to start with this question from the godfather of X-Men podcasting. Mm. That's Jay edited. And Jay asks, what stories would you like the opportunity to revisit? Great question, Jay. So timely. Great question, Jay. Uh, and in fact, I've got great news for you. It's Frank the Rock. Ragnarok, the re-rankening. <laughs> Guys, it's uh, it's Ragnarok. Uh, and as you know what that means, it means it's time for us to re-rank some Ooh. stories that we have previously ranked. Now, we set some rules for ourselves here. We did. We didn't want to be here, like, you know, for several years again, re-ranking everything. 
No, we picked three. Count them. Three, the standard amount of Wolverine claws uh, <laughs> on a given hand, the yeah. amount of stories we normally cover on this show. Mm-hmm. And in fact, we wanted to make sure that we were ranking stuff that we felt some time had passed and we could go back with our new new set of eyes in how we've grown as people since the year of Hard Lord 2017. <laughs> yes, this, and and you know, when you say some time has passed, Zach, I mean, we're not quite at our 6-year anniversary. That will happen later in August. However, I mean, it has almost been 6 years and it's been all, like 6 years. All of the stories that we're going to be talking about on this episode are as you highlighted not only from our first year, but maybe even from our first six months of the show. Yeah, just about just about all of them were in the first six months. Absolutely insane. Like it's we here's the th- here's this thing about podcasts, especially podcasts that are like, well, should we cover this thing that there is technically a finite amount of it? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Most podcasts don't last very long, so <laughs> you're like, yeah, we'll get we'll get the good stuff that we want to talk about out of the way. And then you get into the weird year six era, which, you know what I've been enjoying. And in fact, there was a there was a review on the Apple podcast that said they are enjoying the tangents. Yes. Uh, as we have become a Lucy Goosey show. And I think Lucy Goosey is great because Lucy Goosey is kind of the theme of the first story that we're going to be uh, ranking a rocking. Yeah. So um, we we really, I think, had solidified over the course of our run that the three stories we're going to do today are things that have come up multiple times over the course of doing this show where we kind of bumped into them on the list and went, oh, and this is one that I have mentioned dozens of times as we've gone through this list, especially when we bump into it and go, "What? wait, this is in the 400s? I don't know. And um. One of the things that I I took great pleasure in in getting ready for this episode was going back to the first year of the show <laughs> and and taking some clips of uh, Zach and I in uh, our early audio infancy um, talking about these stories. And um, so let's hear our hot take, our our original opinions about the nineteen ninety. Ann Nascenti and Brett Blevins' New Mutants Summer Special. And as the cover says, it is bonkers. Oh, my. Uh, in every sense of the word. I, um, I think Nascenti thinks that television is bad. I've gotten that far. I think she thinks the 24-hour news cycle is bad. I think she thinks all politicians are bad. And I think she thinks that sad children standing in a polluted river is a bad thing. And what I love about this book is that it is an absolute free for all for Blevins to just go absolutely nuts on every single page. That being said, I think that this is way more interesting than it is good. Okay, so (laughs) that's where we're starting. Amazing to hear our voices from the past. Amazing to hear my very bad microphone that I eventually got fixed. I did re-level uh, us a little bit. You thank know, you just so to, much. Just to make us sound, you know, okay, a little better. A little better, that's what we'll take. <laughs> uh, this this is a clip from episode four of the podcast. Wow. So here's some behind-the-scenes Boda, Boda news. Mm. 
when we started this, I assumed that I would not have time in the evenings to do a podcast. And uh, it was going to be a lot of work. And I said, well, we'll just Sunday afternoons, Adam. Let's just <laughs> let's just do three episodes at a time Sunday afternoons. Th- this is also when I was doing a different podcast uh, with someone from uh, Merry Old London. Yes. Uh, and that time difference really threw me off. That was a mm. 530 in the morning recording session. Amazing. Yes. Uh, but I don't think that was the best strategy in terms of recording. Um, well, because we gave up on it, I think, by <laughs> episode seven. By episode seven, because we did two <laughs> blocks of three episodes in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was, in fact, the second time Adam and I had ever spoken as humans with our with our mouth words. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's all brand new. And it's it's beautiful to go and think back on those days, uh, that trip down memory lane. Uh, so, Adam, I know that the New Mutant Summer Special is a trip down memory lane for you. What is it about this story that has stuck with you through the years? So, I think even way back uh, when we did this the first time, I was super complimentary of what Brett Bre- the Brett Blevins was doing here artistically. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we, we highlighted that this is an absolute showcase and he is doing amazing things uh, with Nascenti's uh, script. And it's as advertised, you know, the cover does say that it is going to be bonkers. Um, it's I bonkers. Think, yeah. Um, my esteem of Brett has only grown over the years. Um, I, I highly recommend that people follow him on Instagram because he's constantly pulling out these wacky things from his career and just showing them off. Like today he had a a new mutants cover that he found somewhere in the house that for some reason was done at double the size. So it was like a 22 by 32 original drawing of, of uh, Sim and magic and limbo. Um, So highly invite you to check that out. But Brett is just incredible here. I think the thing that really struck me as I was rereading it for this episode was that Anacenti is trying something here that I think if it were to try to happen today, a writer at a major publisher, I think that it would have been, that's this script would have been thrown immediately into the garbage. It is saying stuff and it is political and it is interesting and um, I, I do believe that like, this is from a bygone era where this was actually possible. And I don't think this would be possible today. So, and I want to, I want to preface Adam's statements here. This is not like a, Oh, you couldn't make that movie today because it's offensive. Uh, this is more of a, uh, we've really kind of whittled down the teeth of almost any major media thing. Uh, so to have such a large and overt screed as Nascenti, who came up through journalism and through, you know, like an underground punk kind of scene and that sort of aesthetic uh, in like the 70s, like that all shines through here. And it's something that I would be very surprised to see from the hyper sanitized Marvel comics that we get today. I think you're absolutely right. So for folks who don't remember this, um, this is the story where Warlock, Boom Boom, Rain, and Sunspot get sucked into an alternate uh, reality that very much is a send-up of 
the 24-hour media uh, cycle as it existed in 1990, right? Which was in its infancy. Right. So um, you literally have characters being named Mupert Rurdock uh, and walking around and posing a George W. I'm not a George W., a George G.W. Bush on screen as sort of an aging, possibly senile man in front of a camera. Um, This is hitting on so many different levels. There's a particular page that really stuck out to me where they are um, finally at sort of the altar of the, the nexus of this reality. And First, they have to enter this building with these dollar signs on either side of the staircase. But when they go inside, the altar is um, a dollar sign with a cross over it with the hammer and sickle on either sides and a coin that says, in greed we trust. And it's so interesting to see and sort of really kind of sink her teeth into this prediction of kind of like Christo fascism, you know, um, media and its influence on politics. Um, she, she is really playing with so much different stuff here. And I just think that it is a jumble, but at the same time, it's being done in a way that is still very, very intelligent. And it, it, my esteem for this book has only grown over the years. So, so, in that in the original uh, ranking of this, I was probably the more negative person who said, "Well, I got what she was doing. I didn't think it flowed well." And I understand that criticism at the time. I now look at this and I I read it as the chaos in this story, the haphazardness, the jumping from the next big thing to the next big thing to the next big thing is Nascenti trying to mirror the information overload that mm-hmm. you got from the 24-hour news cycle, an information overload that frankly seems quaint nowadays. It, it is like changing the channels to the point where towards the end of this story, our main characters are overwhelmed by this text on the screen. Our purpose is to amass, to homogenize, to dominate. And you know, it really is like Warlock kind of flipping through the channels as you go through this story. The other thing that I hammered on a little bit, was that Anacenti's not subtle? No. In this? Uh, no. To the point where some would argue that it is preachy and like too in your face. And here's here's what I've come away from now that I now that I have a little bit more gray in my beard. Anacenti's writing this in a very specific way, and there's two big touch points that I think are important that she's trying to get at, and I think explain it. One is pretty obvious. It's doing a political cartoon. Mm-hmm. So she's doing it in the language of political cartoons, which are not subtle no. and have what they mean written on the symbolism. Mm-hmm. Like they want you to understand what they mean. And it's the same as the other thing that kept jumping to my mind which was pilgrim's progress the you know novel story tale the allegory which was written very specifically so that the stupidest people in the world just the least that everyone who is uneducated un, would understand what the allegory is in a sense he's kind of doing that here she's saying look 
I'm going to break this down into terms that a baby can understand. I kind of I kind of enjoy it. And what I appreciate about this story more than anything else is just how hard she's going. Yeah. On this. Like she is trying. Rep Levins is trying. They are doing something weird and different. And especially in New Mutants, a book that has already started the life utilization. Boy, is it cool to see. Yes. And uh, I think on a, on a sad note, I think that the through line of the children and the polluted river, um, which is the moral of that story is that for any actual change to take place, the children have to turn it into a scandal. One that would make the media pay attention to them because it has been turned into said scandal. And I think it's interesting to see how that has aged, right? You know, like I, I don't want to get too dark. We're here to celebrate our 300th episode, but oh, let's get dark. Let's get twisted. If, if we, if we look at the current state of the nation, right. And the violence that pervades our country, especially two children, um, you know, even in places like where they attend school, especially uh, in those places, unfortunately. Right. So it is, it is interesting to see this as both uh, a castigation, but also as a, you know, weird crystal ball that yes, at this moment in time, like the media may be able to pay attention to what these kids are doing because it's a scandal, but eventually we will become so numb, right? And that it will become indistinguishable from other events and how, you know, there's a sadness to that and a, and a horror to that. You know, I also think it's interesting. I, I had kind of forgotten about this the, the first time I read it uh, since the last time I read it, but the new mutants decide to throw away their TVs and then start to get into a conversation about what's going to happen on Twin Peaks this uh, that night. So they decide not to throw away the TVs, or at least keep one TV. Hey, Adam, how hard has it been to quit Twitter? I just want to I just want to <laughs> add that in there because I think we can relate to the New Mutants. Yeah, you know, you know how annoying it was when I had to keep Twitter logged in on my computer so that I could check the Q and A questions. I I know, man. I was I'm like, sorry. oh, but I could check. I could search this. And I was like, no, bad, bad, bad <laughs> stack. You're done. You've broken this habit. Yeah, I so- understand. I think Nesenti's making some really interesting and valid points. And you know what? She's doing something, and she has something to say. And as I have gotten a bit older, and my tastes have evolved. I appreciate someone having something to say and doing something more than just a well-done superhero story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think, and you know, this has become a recurring thing is that you and I do appreciate the oddities, you know, the things like the weird stuff, right. That is the weird and man, if this ain't weird. So let's talk about re-ranking it because it's at a, very low point in our list right now. So let's let's talk about our list. Uh, the current state of the list: there are seven hundred and seventy-seven X-Men stories on this list, ranked from best to worst. Wow! The best X-Men story, as ranked on our list, uh, is 
Hawks box. Oh my gosh, it's lucky 777 this week. <laughs> Look at that. We got all sevens. We hit the jackpot, Tiger. That's right. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, number one is Hawks box. Number 100 is Ultimate X Men World Tour. Number 200 is Uncanny X Men 97, my brother, my anime. Number 300 is Ultimate Comics X. Number 400 is that first Havoc story and also the second Sentinel story. The 500th story is Gene Nation plus that Rogan Iceman arc that goes through those stories where they're on that road trip. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number 600 is Classic X-Men 43. I think that's the one where Gene's building that thing on the moon. (laughs) In the the white hot room? Yes. With the, uh, what's that guy's name? The architect? Yes. The architect who has shown up in um, Defenders Mm -hmm. Beyond Mm -hmm. by the goat, Al Ewing. And Javier Rodriguez. Uh, number seven hundred is X Men seven through five. The man who fell from fell to Earth. And if you were wondering if there would be a beep 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 X Men update in this episode, there you go. We did it. We checked off that callback. Number seven seventy seven is twenty ninety nine World of Tomorrow. Woof. Jeez, I keep thinking of twenty ninety nine World of Tomorrow and. Just how it's such a flawed and bad comic that really you wouldn't is. believe. New Mutant Summer Special is currently at 493. That is between X-Men Deadly Genesis, which <laughs> was already on the list. We chose to put it under Deadly Genesis, which I have to say, our original sin right there. There we go. That's where that's where the problem started. because That was a choice. Because we always would compare things to Deadly Genesis and not New Mutant Summer Special and say, well, it's worse than Deadly Genesis or it's yeah. better than Deadly Genesis. Yep. So that one, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea, mea maxi culpa. Uh, but it is above the end of the first run of X Factor with, with <laughs> Xavier's Underground Enforcers, who I kind of love but aren't good by any yeah. reasonable stretch of the imagination. In the episode, Adam, mm-hmm. we specifically said. It is not better than Excalibur Mojo Mayhem. Which is at one. Which is at 124 on the list currently. Okay, that's a big divide. It's a big divide. I still think Mojo Mayhem does this story a little bit better. I would agree. Um, I think at a bare minimum, I want to put in an opening bid of saying that it's in the top 225. The top 225. You're not even going for a nice round number, but I, I appreciate that. Why 225? Um, I'm, I'm just looking up the list and I'm looking at some things in the uh, like 250 to 200 range. And I, I, I just keep working my way up the list and thinking this is braver this is more adventurous. This is more exciting than these, these stories. And for instance, at 215 is X-Men Blue Cross-Time Capers, which... This is better than Cross-Time Capers. This is better than Cross-Time Capers. You know, we should go back and read... Like, not for the show, but like you and me as friends should go back and read Cross-Time Capers. It's got RB Silva art. It's got 2099. I think it's kind of got everything. It's got Generation X as a major part. I there honestly is. think... Yeah, there's a reason that's where that is on the list. Get, now that we say all this out loud, I get why that's there now, yeah. actually. Yep. Colin Bunn, you had some ups and downs, but when you're on, you're on. And much like Steve Orlando, Colin Bunn likes the same things I do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at the, uh, I, I'm just keep working my way up. Now I'm in the uh, the 100s. 
So at 200 is my brother, my enemy. Yeah. And I'd say this is better than that. At 198, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the 198 is yes. Battle of the Atom. Yep. Yep. Think, don't tell, don't, hey, don't tell our, don't tell our upcoming guest. No, he was not going to know. He's, he, he can't know. We have to keep this a secret from him. <laughs> this is better than Battle of the Atom. I would agree. I uh, I just keep working my way up. This is here's a good one. One eighty two yep. is Kitty's Fairy Tale. Is this hmm. better or worse than Kitty's Fairy Tale? Because we're kind of. I think we're in. I think we're we're in the right zone here. Like in the kind of two hundred to one seventy five uh, realm here, right? Like. Yeah, like because one seventy nine is assault on weapon plus, and it's I not as good as assault on weapon plus. That is better, right? I think Avengers vs X Men Consequences is also a book that's trying to say something while being the wrap up to an event, mm-hmm. while still being a superhero story that's driving the momentum and doing more X many things. And I think that probably gets at some points. Yeah. Yep. Do you like this better or worse than uh, the Red Skull stuff from Jerry Duggan's Uncanny Avengers? I like this better than that arc, uh, even though I'm a big fan of that arc. And I'm trying to decide whether I like it better than Cable, Blood, and Metal, which I also have a very large soft spot for. You like Cable, Blood, and Metal more than I do. Oh, I love it, right? I mean, just like Fabes and JRJR just on all cylinders, right? I've gotten <laughs> a weird appreciation for JRJR as I've gotten older. I yeah. just wrote I I wrote a whole thing about some JRJR art recently, and I was like, okay, I kind of I, I get it. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> I think if I was gonna put it somewhere, I would probably put it just below blood and metal and above x23 touching darkness at 187 that's the lesbian vampire jubilee punch yes which we liked uh quite a bit um but i think that's a much better and more representative part of the list for this really really interesting story that if people have skipped for whatever reason it's got to check this thing out it's on it's on the app it is on the app it's on we had to double check because last time it was not. No. Man, can you imagine how far the app has come in the last six years? <laughs> well, it's only going to keep growing, right? Because now they just killed Comixology's Marvel app. So, you know. Uh, and yet, now I have nowhere to read my Jessica Jones comics. Sorry, buddy. It's so rough. Yeah. The comics I did buy on Comixology. I don't know. I don't know how to. I guess I could go to Comixology. Or, you know what I could do, Adam? <laughs> what could you do? I could talk to our guest. Yeah, we're doing something a little different this episode. We're kind of mixing it up, right? The theme is 300. We're getting loosey-goosey. Yeah, so um, we did promise our listeners, our longtime listeners, a big surprise. And And that is, of course, the hollow foil album art that you have. (laughs) It is not the JPEG you have. For our patrons, who we love, and we wouldn't be doing this without, the variant cover JPEG that you have, which I'm going to tell you, we didn't polybag it because it's mm. not physical. But if you do want to print that out and polybag it, I think in like 20 years, you're really going to appreciate that decision. Yes. that's, that's This is uh, only going up in value. That's an investment right there, folks. But I got to say, uh, no one, readers, I mean, listeners aside, um, no one is more surprised than the interview we're about to have. 
That's right. You may know him from X Men, <laughs> from doing X Men, from uh, what? Let's let's think. Uh, House of M, mm-hmm. Avengers versus X Men, the all new X Men, the Uncanny X Men, and a little something called Battle of the Atom. What? He also, as I explained to my children, is the creator of Miles Morales, which oh, yes. they were excited about. Yes. Uh, and, and explaining to people who we were interviewing today uh, who don't know anything about comics, I was like, oh, yeah, he created the most popular Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, the good the, – the, not only did he do the best run of Spider-Man that's ever existed in <laughs> Ultimate Spider-Man, he then did a better Spider-Man character right afterwards. And that's a controversial take. You know him. You love him. It's Brian Michael Bendis. All right, so we're here with Brian Michael Bendis. Brian, how are you doing today? Very good, actually. Great day today. Nice sunny day here in Portland. It is beautiful. We're actually uh, running to a minor league baseball game right after uh, this with me and my uh, me and my crew. So we're excited to enjoy spring. Lovely. I actually started uh, my year throwing out a pitch at a minor league game here in Portland at the Hillsborough <laughs> so Hops. Cool. The Hillsborough Hops. Marvel-themed uh, day, they called me because I think when you Google Marvel Portland, I come up alphabetically, and uh, <laughs> I, I was um, uh, offered to throw out the first pitch. I immediately flashed back to the last time I was at a baseball game, which was not to name drop with my then-boss Joe Quesada and dear friend Matt Fraction, both diehard baseball fans who were trying to share their passion with me. And when we got to the game, I was so into the hot dogs, I wasn't even facing the game. And I looked up and saw how annoyed they were with me. And when I was offered to throw out this ball, I couldn't wait to share with them that I was going to do this. And they were <laughs> delighted. And I did do it. You can see it on my Instagram. You know, the Hillsborough Hops, we recently uh, just did an article on our, our website at the start of the season uh, ranking all 96 minor league baseball logos that Marvel redesigned for Defenders of the Diamond. Uh, the Hillsborough Hops, they made it They made it to the uh, starting lineup there. Yeah. They, they really did good. pretty well. And listen, all I can tell you is I got the ball over the plate having not thrown a ball in over 30 years, and I got it over the plate. I was very proud of myself. That's so, really all you can ask for in that situation, right? There's so much damn pressure. Right. <laughs> we have in front of legitimately, for Mother's Day, uh, my my oldest is going and throwing out a first pitch that he doesn't know about yet. Oh, uh, and I'm bare. He's only seven. So I'm like, you, bud, you, I know your arm, you're not going to get there, but it'll be fun for you. That's awesome. Uh, it's a great, it was a great experience. Can't wait. <laughs> now, you know, speaking of, speaking of baseball, I think the uh, comics team most associated with the sport is the X-Men, which you had a run on back in 2012 to 2015. Yep, over a hundred issues to my surprise. Kind oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. I mean, that'll happen when you're doing, uh, you know, multiple books at the same time. No, it, it really is. When I was almost handed a concept that was so, so, you know, filled with with uh, potential and ways to, uh, you know, shake up and break up the team, and you know, when I when I first came to Marvel, one of my first job offers was Ultimate X-Men. Mm-hmm. And I had, you know, I had after years and years and years of, of, of trying, 
to break in. I was now on Ultimate Spider-Man and things were, were shockingly going well. Again, after years of nope, it was a big old yes. And then they go, here, do X-Men. And I go, yes, I love X-Men. And then I I did not know how to write X-Men. I, did, I literally spent weeks and weeks and weeks of trying to find my way in on Ultimate X-Men. I, I wrote drafts and drafts of uh, Rogue and Gambit adventures that were not to ever see the light of day. I finally turned to my bosses and I said, gee, I'm just, I don't have it yet. I just don't, I don't. And then I go, I don't, at this level of play, I don't want to be writing stuff I don't have. Mm. You know, I, uh, and on Daredevil and Spider-Man, I had it. So I knew the feeling and I didn't have it here. And, uh, and, um, and then that book went to Mark Miller as, as it should have been. And just a few years later, I will say that that idea of me not being able to find it really bothered me as a writer, mm-hmm. just as a craftsman. I was like, what the hell are you a writer or not? Write the goddamn <laughs> X-Men. And, uh, and I would think about it and plan around it. And when, um, the job a couple of years later came back to me. Right. Ultimate X-Men, I grabbed it as a please second chance. Let me find my way in. And I literally used Peter Parker and walked ultimate Spider-Man into the world of X-Men so I could find my way around. And what I was really trying to do was find an X-Men that wasn't Claremont's that mm-hmm. like I'd grown up so overly consumed with the Claremont's run on X-Men. It was the entirety of my childhood and into my adulthood that I couldn't find an original place. So it took me a few years to find that. And then um, over the years, now I'm writing House of M. Like I'm now I'm doing a lot. I weirdly doing a lot of things to the Mm X-Men franchise without writing X-Men and House of M was a big one. House of M was like, boy, I just no more mutants. And you did a little here. bit. You did a little bit to them. Yeah. So, <laughs> and uh, and and I think by that time we had already like killed Xavier. So by the time I had walked into the X Men franchise, I I was coming in kind of like a notorious gunslinger. I wasn't like. Uh, <laughs> Hey yeah. everybody! Like, <laughs> like it's like I, I my reputation was already set with some X Men fans, but I was, uh, you know, at a Marvel retreat, and I had heard this pitch about the original X Men mm-hmm. coming to modern day, looking around and seeing the franchise today as if it were Days of Future Past. Mm-hmm. Right? Like this is if, if from their perspective, holy what's happening i love this pitch and as a fan i i want i wanted to read it and it never really landed and i and we'd go back to these retreats and there would be on to another pitch they're back they're on to dracula and i'm like oh what happened to that og x-men pitch and then when it was time they said hey you should take over x-men and you can have that pitch that was you know that's that was developed here and i was like oh yeah i I, that that's because that's a that's a pitch filled with tips of the hat to what I loved as a kid, but not retreading any of that material. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, that's, that's one of the things we wanted to look at is because you had done a good amount of X-Men. You had a, you had a run of ultimate uh, house of M. You were part of the writing room for Avengers versus X-Men. There was a lot going into it. You know, you were open at the time about how X-Men fans are a little bit different than Spider-Man and Avengers fans. And you're saying this as a guy who read X-Men yourself as you were growing up. Oh, uh, hell yeah. I'm one of quoted, them. Yeah. <laughs> you were quoted in USA Today saying Avengers fans, when they make a point, they just make a point. 
<laughs> X-Men fans come with like a slideshow uh, or in this case, a podcast. Uh, but you know, what, what do you think inspires that kind of different level of passion for the franchise? Because it does feel a little unique in the larger world of comics. Well, it, it is it is unique in that um, you realize the X-Men franchise in itself is its own superhero universe. It happens to be connected to the Marvel Universe. But if you removed the core Marvel Universe, and as we've had in the cinema for decades now, mm-hmm. they are themselves. They don't, need, they don't need anything but the real world to react to. It's great that we have the Avengers to um, represent the real world in a heightened level. But it's still, it's still X-Men in the real world. Also, because it's so huge, it's there's so many characters from so many backgrounds with so much um, different perspective that there's a lot of ways for fans to find their way in, to mm. find the character they connect to or characters or relationships. And sometimes it's not a character. Sometimes it's, I like Kitty and Peter. I like Wolverine and Cyclops. Like, I like that relationship. I like Gene, all the genes. I like them all. And, um, and, and so there's so many ways for fans to find their way in. And some are just fans of elaborate, decades long storytelling. I like the mm-hmm. meal. I, I like, I like investing myself in it. I like, I, I, we get it on social media almost every day. I'm, I'm in the middle of the meal. You guys have experienced it. I, I like and and the journey of that itself it gets so exciting. I like like people tweet me all the time. I'm doing the 80s. Like like I'm <laughs> I'm taking it on. Knowing yeah. full well that with miniseries and events and all that, it's a real, you know, it's it's that's, you know, that's a way to spend the pandemic. Yeah. So Absolutely. so it's it's and it, and this and this not to over answer, but we learn as writers and as and as craftsmen that this weird idea that the more specific the story, the more universal it becomes. And that does sound to some people who have not experienced it, that it's counterintuitive, but it's actually like the more granule I got about my childhood in Cleveland, the, the bigger my world got, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the X-Men now has a dozen, two dozen, three dozen, a hundred characters, each with a very specific you know, uh, history and each one of those allows the audience in on all the stuff. So it gets very specific with the overall of we are the other, we are not understood. We are going to fight for our right to be. And so many people can see themselves as that. Oh, absolutely. So speaking of that enormous cast, you know, you had the benefit of not only doing all new, but you then are launching uncanny, right? Um, and you have this dichotomy between what's going on with beast and in his mind, you have what's going on with Cyclops and his mission. I'm just curious, you know, obviously the books overlapped and the story interweaved back and forth, but would, did you have a different approach to each of those titles in the way in which you wanted to tell their stories? A hundred percent. I, I, you know, I was coming off of uh, Avengers which was the biggest meal I'd ever I'd ever cooked up as a as a storyteller, and having the uh, genuine privilege and sometimes madness of balancing multiple titles at one time, mm-hmm. and really working with Joe Casada and Tom Brevoort to make sure that editorially their existence 
uh, had value. Like it wasn't just, we're just publishing all of this because the market uh, dictates or we're, we want to publish them, but that thematically each one of these books stood out on its own, regardless of what they're surrounded by. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and also that they're thematically like sistering each other through a story. Like if you read new Avengers and mighty Avengers, you're getting different perspectives that hopefully enhance. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm all into this. I'm really into this idea as a storyteller. It's so much more complicated than I than things I had done before, and I was really into it as a as a craftsman. Ooh, I'm going to apply that to X Men, which is already a more complicated universe. That's okay. <laughs> I true. have the, the golden egg of the OG X Men uh, concept, right? And then I also have Uncanny X Men, which would then represent all the ideals of the modern X where the X Men are now, what they where they've been, where they're going, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that would include new characters, putting new toys in the toy box, uh, and learning lessons from my Avengers run. I had walked into the Avengers run and blew up the Avengers mansion and tortured the uh, Avengers and then rebuilt. <laughs> had a lot of fun. A lot of people were into it. A lot of people also wanted me to go to hell because who asked you to come to my house and tear up my toys and kick over my sandcastle and no matter what my intention was for some people that's what it felt like right so i walked into x-men saying to myself i won't be that guy this time i'm gonna be hello everyone let's get to work and build something (laughs) new and i walked in and i go you're the guy that did no more mutants i'm like i mean i already did this already already so right so because i and, 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 uh, and then I, but then I was, someone online did that to me going, oh, great. Uh, you know, Mangala's here. And, uh, uh, and I, uh, um, then said to myself, all right, so then let's own this. Let's let me prove myself. Let's, let's, mm-hmm. let's, uh, let's, and then, and then I, and I took on the, not only the OG thing, but to use Uncanny X-Men to hear a bunch of brand new characters. Hopefully some mm-hmm. of them will dig a lot of them coming from a passionate place. And uh, I was I was proud of that. I was I was happy to put toys in the toy box. Now you have a long history, especially with your Avengers work, of you know taking toys that someone had recently put in the toy box, but no one was playing with yes. yet, and pulling them in. I'm thinking Echo, Sentry, Marvel Boy, and the Hood, 100%. big ones that I think of. I like to think that that tradition gets carried on in you know what Jonathan Hickman was doing in his new stuff, especially with uh, Tempest and Gold Balls being pretty central to the mechanic, the mechanisms of that story. So I guess my my question, my question is, did you also cackle like a madman when you found out that they weren't balls, they were eggs? <laughs> I I must say. Um... <laughs> I'm a big fan of uh, the tenets of improv when they come to shared universe comic book creation. And um, like you kind of like I like I, I found myself like obsessed with improv comedy all through like my Marvel years. And then I'm like, oh, that's because that's what I do. Like we're <laughs> yes handing each other. That, that's the best part of the job. And all the horror stories we've ever heard about like our our you know our, our heroes not playing well together is when they weren't improving each other but working against mm-hmm. each other right so if you look at avengers versus x-men that is five writers in the room yes anding each other like all the way through something and it was it felt great right mm-hmm. so that's the energy that was often in the marvel retreat rooms 
Some of it we brought just naturally. And some of it, once we found out, oh, that's what we're doing, we came to the room to see what we could yes and each other with, right? And that was always the funnest stuff. Civil War came out of a two-minute yes and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like literally like what Nick Fury versus the Marvel Universe. Marvel versus the Marvel Universe. Whose side are you on? Oh, shit, we got something. <laughs> and uh, And so – that's what I knew to be Marvel at their best, right? Mm-hmm. So I leave, and you know it's weird to leave. It, it, it you know it was time to go. Mm-hmm. It's never easy to go. The Marvel is filled with you either, and, and we're all aware of it while you're there. You've seen it. You either leave happy or leave sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you 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 leave with your you know integrity or you don't, and uh, and you're like when. When do I hop off mm-hmm. and do it well and do it with some style? And what happens to my babies when I do, right? And uh, and so off I go to DC. I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'm now, for the first time in decades, not in that loop. Right. And it's funny because even into my DC time, I'm still getting like group emails and PDFs and stuff because – I've been on the group for like 20 years, right? So like no one ever thinks to take me off. Right. And then I remember I was a few months into it. And I was thrilled. I want, I just did advance of PDFs and stuff. And then one day someone goes, oh, Brian's still here. And then gone. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> poor you. Jeez. So it was just before, you know, they were going to find out what happened. So I wasn't in the loop anymore. Someone told me through the grapevine your stuff is being used. And I went, well, if they blow it up, I certainly have that coming. Avengers disassembled. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and, and I was braced for that. And, and, but I was like, boy, I really like Eva and I really like gold balls. And I really like, you know, these are some of my favorite latest things. And then lo and behold, Jonathan came through and, and yes, ended gold balls into a place I would never have gone on my own. I would, I can tell you full stop. I was not going there, but when I got, when it, when it went there, I didn't go. No, I went, thank you. Thank you. I said, no, cause you want, you want to be like in the, in the mix, especially once it all landed is one of the great X-Men stories of all time. Of course, mm-hmm. you're just so happy to be part of the stew on any level. So that is really how I felt about it. But I did have that little, uh-oh, here it comes. Yeah. They're mad at me for leaving. They're going to poop <laughs> on my And they did not do that. So Yeah, I mean, it's got to feel like a compliment, right? You it know, does. when people are utilizing your creations, that's got to feel good. It does. And I'm very blessed with this, with Miles and Reread. And, you know, they're, they're mm-hmm. always out there and they're living life. And, and so many creators are doing very, very honest, good work with them. And, and uh, that, so I, I feel very blessed. Uh, and so I, I don't take it for granted. So when 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 the events happen, I assume, all right, someone's going to die because I did it. I, yeah. You know, I <laughs> I went, I did it a bunch of times. I have it coming, but uh, um, yeah, I, I, I often find myself just uh, a little emotional about how my babies are being treated on a day to day. You mentioned you mentioned you know you had you had an exit a few years ago. Uh, you know, on your X Men stuff specifically, I think it's fair to say that that exit feels a little a little rushed uh, it feels like like solicits weren't matching what you were doing i know there were things that were happening uh and i know you know infamously uncanny 600 took 
a significant amount of time over Secret Wars to come out. You know, what what influence? Oh, yeah, that's right. I, <coughs> I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. What what I guess my question is what influenced your acting? Because obviously there were a lot of things going on at the time in terms of, you know, Secret Wars was blowing up everybody's publishing schedule is my understanding. Uh, but, you know, what what made that the right time to step away from? The yeah, it's funny. I don't remember it that much. Silver War was much more of a publication. Um mm-hmm like almost every day because th- that was being delayed over. There was a summer where Mark was actually ill and um, effort needed to be made to like keep, keep the fires going. Mm-hmm. We were all happy to do that. Also civil war, but here, like even that, like Mark and I uh, still very good pals, but we couldn't be more interested in different things as writers. Like mm-hmm. literally look at Civil War. I wrote the prologue, the epilogue, and like 75 issues in the middle of it. And I didn't <laughs> touch anything he was he was touching. Like like mm-hmm. I, I kept going, oh, are you going to do the scene where Iron Man's over like to, uh, Steve Rogers' dead body going, oh, it wasn't worth it. Because no, I don't want to do that. And I was like, <laughs> like, like that's the best part. Like, I, so I like, like throughout all of these yes and moments we were talking about, I found myself getting to write stuff I would not have thought of on my own if not for this scenario that was being put forth and stuff I was dying to do. Mm-hmm. So that, and then walked away from the whole event feeling like I did some of my best work with some of my best collaborators. So when things might seem to you like they go off the rail in publishing. Sometimes that's very exciting. Like, oh, the mm-hmm. opportunity just arise, arose for us to have some more fun and squeeze in a few more issues. So I actually don't remember Secret War being that big of an editorial thing that you're just describing because Civil War was so much that, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I don't remember it being chaotic if it felt that way publicly. I, I'm interested why why it did because I don't remember it feeling that way. So I think I think part of it, and this is just I'm my thinking. perception. Yeah, yeah. Right yeah. before right before the break, you had the Iceman scene that definitely got people going, and I know that there were at the time tie-ins to like access that were solicited that never ended up coming out, or the stories had to change. I, you were doing a story, uh, what what uh, the Last Will and Testament of Charles Xavier that seemed to get extended a little bit no Um, that got extended because the the story needed more (laughs) like it was it wasn't any it wasn't i'm remembering that very clearly like i i got onto a hook that as i was going kept revealing more ideas and we had the time like no one was rushing me and so sometimes Mm -hmm. we would go oh and i i've done that on spider-man too where you're like oh this needs another issue this is there's some there's some set pieces here worth the real estate and you know that comics is filled with that it's just you know we're we're we're, we're sometimes just a few weeks ahead of you in production of you getting handled a book it's one of my favorite things actually about uh working working in mainstream comics and something that I'm not doing right now. And that, that's, that's mm-hmm. like, I remember like when Naomi was coming out, I felt I was still writing it. Like I, I did, I'm still writing that issue. Oh, you have it. Okay. Then that's how close <laughs> it felt to right. the actual <laughs> p- production of it. Um, so that, that can happen. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, you're fine. So I guess, you know, with that coming, what made it the right time for you to exit the X-Men? Um, I was getting to a place where um, like this, how long can you stay on the book 
was becoming uh, more pathological than I meant it to. Like, like, mm. it, it, like, it, like, these are my dream jobs from when I was six. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not leaving Spider-Man until you tell me to. Like, I'm just not going to leave. <laughs> yeah. uh, and and then and then it's 18, 19 years later, and they're like not asking me to leave. And in fact, I left a couple of times. I've I, like at like when Bagley left, I'm like, oh, should I leave? It's been 11 mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like uh, that's not. And then I'm like, oh, I don't want to. And then I go to Joe. I go, should I leave? He goes, no one's asking you to. All right, go, go back to work. <laughs> and then and then and then. There would be a couple more times where I'd be a fool not to look around and go, go, like you mm-hmm. just killed Peter Parker. Get the fuck off stage. <laughs> and uh, and and then Miles is here. No, yeah, Miles, you get, like. And then I was going to leave during or after Secret Wars. I think like, and also mm-hmm. also also I learned leaving Avengers to Guardians and leaving Guardians to X Men was good for me creatively. That I felt that most some of us should be switching books more often, mm-hmm. and and I was and because I had felt empowered, right? So I had made a deal with myself not to. You're and 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 the gift of Claremont is you're never going to beat his record. Like I, <laughs> right. I was always like I could be the longest running writer on Daredevil because it was only like forty issues, right? Mm-hmm. So right. I hung in so far until. Until Mark Wade, I was the longest running, and I'm the longest running Avengers and longest running Spider Man because those became uh, records I could reach. I'll never, I couldn't physically live long enough on this planet to reach Claremont's run. So give myself a hundred issues and get off stage. Like make yourself a, a, a shape in which to do that. So it was more about that than anything else. Like it wasn't like this is editorially messy. I gotta go. I don't. I remember that. Well, uh, I yeah. I do think at a time at the time, mm-hmm. uh, comics fans may have a habit of catastrophizing things mm-hmm. or yes. assuming they know what's going on. Yes, and I'm not going to say that I'm innocent of that at all times. Oh, I'm not innocent of it, and I'm like sometimes I could actually call these people and ask them, and I still gossip and and look and guess what I think's happening in real mm-hmm. life. But um, but this goes back to what we said about passionate X Men fans. And uh, some of that involves creating their own narratives, not only around the characters, but around how the characters are being treated and what's mm-hmm. going on behind the scenes. I've seen it uh, as, I mean, you go back and read like Fantico fan publications from the 1980s and they're talking about Claremont and the death of Jean Grey, who now people think was all that, the most popular storyline in the world. It was not. And you read like the discourse you know, this is pre-internet, but it's the same passion and discourse and care of the characters and sometimes looking at comic book creators as like wrestling characters that are, you know, heel turns <laughs> and, and, yeah. and whatnot. And and sometimes and to the point where it's a very fascinating thing where some fans will look at the characters as real people and the people that create them as fictional characters. Yeah. Like it gets that it gets that um uh, bizarre for some for some readers. So, but I know that as a fan, I know that as a creator, and I'm all in on playing the game. And even the pitch of the o- OG X Men coming there plays full on into all the anxiety mm-hmm. and passions of all of the fans. Oh no, they're going to erase the history of the X Men. Yep. And all of my books won't 
will not have the value that I have now of the bags and boards that I gave them. So they, so knowing this, so, but part of our job is to play with that if we want to, Yep. but not to the point where we're being mean or lying (laughs) or making promises we don't plan on keeping, but instead lay out a scenario that fills the reader with, ideas in their head as they're reading it while we're creating the storyline. So that, that was really the, the plan. And as these events come along, I get, I'm, I'm for me, it's like, it, it's like throwing out, it's, it's the shared universe throwing things at me that I have to deal with much like the real world sometimes throws at us like oh i thought my day was going to be about the zoo and no i'm not doing that today and (laughs) and and so that and i and i look at it that way and and again going back to you start improving around what's what's happening in front of you yeah so speaking of that right i i think um you have this pitch that the o5 is coming back right and early in our show we had an interview with uh dennis hopeless who was the writer on the second volume of all new x-men and what eventually happens, if, if I'm remembering correctly, is that the all-new X-Men get a peek. I mean, the O5 get a peek at the past and realize they can't go back. And then I believe under Colin Bunn, it actually turns out that the future uh, evil brotherhood have like replaced them in the past, right? Now, one of the things Dennis said to us when we interviewed him was that there was, at least in the box, you know, like on the table under your guidance, there was an original idea for what was supposed to happen with them. Like in terms of at least an exit ramp to get them back if you needed to. Right. A hundred percent. So there were a couple opportunities for that. I couldn't get the pitch approved unless I had an exit strategy. Uh Mm -hmm. um, What I, what I will say, one of my favorite things about my editorial is, and then what? Uh-huh. Which again is a lot like, uh, uh, the, but but Joe was all, and Axel um, were all. And Joe then, Kassada and Axel Alonso. Yeah, yeah, and the, and 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 so like for Secret Invasion, a great example is Joe wasn't so into the scrolls. He was way into Norman Osborn. The and then what mm-hmm. of after Secret Invasion? Yeah, was, mm-hmm. he couldn't wait to get to that. Right, <laughs> so that's a perfect example. It's like, all right, great, that's the scrolls, and then what? Mm-hmm. Oh, then, oh, well, that's okay. Here we go. So, so I, I, I always had it. And then what? Or so, a couple. So in, keeping all of that in mind, right? Yes. Did you have an idea in mind for when they were supposed to go back? And then why didn't they? Let's say. Um, I remember, like, should I put them back? I, the, a conversation, should, should I put them back? They said, we're not done with it. And I editorially, like I felt as the, as the writer, I don't need to put them back. Like I like, like they're, they're like, they're learning something. They're happy. They're growing and they're happy with where they are. And like, even the Iceman thing was towards the end of the, like, like there's evolution here and the other writers still want to play. How about it? Knock yourselves out. So, so that was interesting because, yeah, if it basically, if like we we launch 
it doesn't work either editorially or commercially, they would like a way to put it back in the box, right? That's yeah. just, that, that, mm-hmm. that is, because there has been at both universes times where they thought, oh, everyone's going to love this. And there's no plan B for when they don't. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and we both as, as fans and creators have experienced that. So um, so I, I understood that. And then and then it, it took off and was it, it and it seemed healthy with it. It's 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 not even whether the idea worked. It's like it's like a Jenga tower of science fiction nonsense, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, you're like you've got cosmic time travel superpowers. You know, uh, physics manipulating superpowers all stacking on top of each other. And it's, you know, not to use another uh, comedy uh, thing, but it is a hat on a hat on a hat on a hat. And you're curious, like, how many hats can Cyclops wear before it, there's, you know, <laughs> it falls over? And, and, and the audience lets us know. Like, our, our ability to, to keep the plates all balanced up lets us know. And I think with X-Men, it's already a hat on a hat. And then you come in with a, a high-concept pitch. You're like, is this one too many? We'll we'll find out when we find out, and that's and that's why you need an, an exit strategy because you'll find out fast. And again, not to connect it, but we on on Secret Invasion, I keep thinking about this because the TV show is coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm reminded of like that moment when we showed the first scroll and went, "Oh boy, hope you're anybody into this because yeah. this is the next three years <laughs> this of my is what life. we're doing." <laughs> I don't have an exit strategy on this one, so so I know both feelings. So, you know, want to want to pivot here to some of your collaborators uh, that you created this stuff with. Yes. You know, one of the things that, you know, artistically, a lot of people associate with your work is, you know, a lot of artists are doing double page spreads. I know that <laughs> you said in the past that you are writing those into the script. Uh, at the time, I think you said it was a way you controlled some of the pacing in terms of page turns, in terms of ad placement. Uh you know, and and dynamics of the of the storyline. To to be mm-hmm. fair, like that that's the number one. Is like right. you turn the page, and and if you're working with Stuart Immerman, yeah, I want you to turn the page and go wow as often as you possibly can because that's how I'm feeling reading it. Right. So sometimes it's uh, a number one. I, I again look at that first year of Ultimate Spider Man. Check out the ad placement. God bless ads paid my bills. I'm not a baby. <laughs> I understand we need ads, but if I can place the ads away from the the drama of the scene mm-hmm. like when you're watching i know a lot of people don't watch uh, network television anymore but back then we were watching a lot of network television and you wouldn't be watching an episode of friends and then all of a sudden right in the middle of the scene someone goes skittles it just wouldn't <laughs> that wouldn't you know but that's what the that's what it's like when you're turning pages sometimes yeah. in the middle of a very emotional scene and then the pepsi or or, or you know don't smoke and and uh and I just like if I could do a double page spread, I could with that two pages have a whole scene, turn the page, add, turn the page. Yeah, like the, the, it's a difference between just wanting to have the scene play out. Now, one of one of the most, I think, iconic spreads was in, I believe, issue six of your run, maybe issue five. That one, the nope. one uh, no, with, the, with Jean Grey memory, remembering everything. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You know, how did one. that come together? Was that. Was that Stuart just going to town and saying, hey, she needs to remember everything, figure something out? Or was that something you guys worked together I can on? honestly say in my heart that is perfect comic book collaboration. That was an idea that I had. He executed it perfectly and uh, added his, his own uh, thing to it. And then uh, I love how often we were able to use it as a kind of a stamp 
of mm-hmm. where the characters were. And I see every once in a while someone else uses it as a kind of like a as a as a visual nod mm-hmm. uh, to where the character is. And because X Men is filled with so many visual Claremont nods, I was thrilled mm-hmm. I had at least one added to the X Men language and, and a positive one about the character. So right. and it's a great, also a great way to like. I, I like when you're like, yeah, there's a lot of continuity here. Here it is. Don't worry about it unless you want to go find where this and this and this happened. If that find if that's interesting, you you can Google it. You go, wait, Spider Man's in there. Spider Man and Cyclops, and you Google it, find it right away, mm-hmm. without cluttering up the narrative with see uh, Marvel team up ninety seven. See, you know, it's just there as a, and also it says to the fans that do know their stuff, yeah. Right? Oh, it's that stuff. Yeah, I know that stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, now Gene knows what I know is a very mm-hmm. exciting idea. So uh, some of the other collaborators on your on these books um, were absolutely outstanding, right? We've got artists like Fraser Irving uh, yeah. doing this beautiful painterly limbo stuff. Um, you know, Chris Early Anka, Chris Anka. yeah, Chris Anka really did Chris a, Anka, a Chris Bicello. Um, yeah, the work Chris Bicello was doing was rattling me at the time. I was uh, well. I wanted to ask to... you about that because um, we're we're huge Chris Bicello fans, right? Giant. Um, yeah, and I think one of the things that we've learned is like over his career, he's experimenting with a variety of different things. So when he's, you just said it rattled you when you're seeing him come at back with pages that are like full bleed you know dutch angle (laughs) things kind of popping off the page how much of that is you know you just said that okay the imminent two-page spread is like an idea that you had and that imminent just like kills it right how much of what chris is doing is coming back to you and you're kind of like surprised maybe by the way he's interpreting your script well, to be fair, Stewart would often do that too. It's not okay. like uh, it, like Stewart had a. Uh, it, it was here's an idea that I, I and I, I, one of my um, deep philosophies that I, I, I don't ever um, get away from is I write for the artist. I don't write mm-hmm. for the reader or for myself. Or I write. I I am my job is to make sure that my cr- collaborators have what they need to do what they have to do. And it's a visual medium and what the artist is doing comes first. Yeah. So I, I write, when I'm writing for Alex Maleev, I am just thinking Alex Maleev. And sometimes that is me, you know, making choices based on previous choices or making choices based on where I f- deeply feel they're going as an artist or where they, mm-hmm. where I feel they want to go or where they've called me and said, here's where I want to go. Here's where I'm headed. Or they send me, pieces of artwork saying this is this is this is this is what my heart is right now right so i'm writing into that constantly and sometimes uh, there's a verbal connection where we're talking amongst ourselves and sometimes there is not we don't we, either there's a language barrier or and and we're just and we're just like guessing on each other and with chris there wasn't much conversation it was i'm a huge fan have been my whole life very aware of what he's capable of got to work with him a couple of times on littler things, including some jam issues. And the big takeaway for me was, I remember I did a um, a piece with him in Daredevil <clears throat> where I was really blessed. It was a Daredevil, I think 65. And that one is, I, I know I'm 
I'm lousy with jam issues because it's one of my favorite things that, that comics can do. Max <laughs> looking and, this up furiously because he doesn't know what you're and, talking and about. Yeah. <laughs> I've read the run like four times. I feel like I would remember this. Uh, I'm, I'm, no, it's, it's, there's one oh, issue. Is this the, is this the one, uh, no, it's a double side anniversary thing. issue. I think it's yeah. 65. And uh, if I'm wrong on the number, I apologize. No, you're, you're, you're right. spot you're right. on. You're spot okay. on. I, I guess I have to reread Daredevil. That's, oh, darn. <laughs> well, so in this in this scene, it's it's um, a quiet scene between Daredevil and Doctor Strange, uh, as quiet a scene as it's in the whole book. And I remember feeling a little guilty that I was giving someone who's so visually uh, splendorous uh, something so quiet, but that's what was needed. And he took it and turned it into the most scrumptious visual like hmm. feast of two people talking. It is the most like for. Uh, artists wrestling with talking head scenes go look at this holy lord what he did with it and at the same time took away nothing from what i needed and what the story mm-hmm. needed like all everything i asked for is there plus it's dr stranger's world i'm going nuts right and and it and it was wonderful and i was so grateful for the little practice moment for me to consider what he does with quiet moments as we go into x-men together and knowing that there will be very few quiet moments and then how to so i was writing for him in a way and in a mindset i was writing for a few others because i found myself writing for someone who was thinking differently about the page like me and alex malieve even though he is far more talented than i ever will be we 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 come at the page with a very similar energy, whereas right. Chris and I are not. And I like that. Mm. And that's like, like, and some of my favorite bands are like that, where the, like the lead singer, the guitarist are just different schools coming together to make something special. And that's how I saw this. Oh, that's great. Now, you know, you, when you, after you left X-Men, there was still one X-Men project that you had your fingers in that we at least know about project 143, uh, which was, a Kitty Pride reported as a Kitty Pride movie uh, that you were working with, I believe, Tim Miller before everything kind of changed in terms of how they were approaching that franchise. You know, how did you, as someone who's working in, you know, scripting something, how did you approach that in a character that you've obviously written a ton of? How did you approach her for a script different than you would have for a comic? Great question. And I know how you, I like how you worded it where there's no way for me to tell you it wasn't a Kitty Pride script, but yes, it was, a, it was a, um, a, I said it was reported a very, as a Kitty reported, Pride reported. script. I checked, I checked. Yeah, no. So, um, so yeah, so this was one of the, there's a couple of weird things, uh, uh, around this time. And it was, I'd, uh, been offered, I known Tim Miller for years and years. He was doing a lot of, um, the, the best opening, like cinematics of the best video games like DC online and mm-hmm. even like the Simpsons, like some of the best opening cinematics of your video games of the aughts were Tim Miller and his crew at blur studios and uh, including a lot of Marvel stuff. And so we'd uh, met through those um, channels over the years and um, we're talking all the time. And then all of a sudden I get a random call as you do. And uh, it was, Tim Miller had been offered to do an X-Men movie. He wanted to do Kitty Pride in, in the mansion storyline and said, call Brian and say, I want Brian to write it. And they didn't even like ask me like, like, and, and I was almost out the door at Marvel and then mm-hmm. got a call to write a Marvel movie for the, like, and I'm like, Oh my, like I couldn't believe it. <laughs> but also because of my, 
place in other parts of Marvel, I was kind of aware, oh, Kevin, Kevin's taken over mm-hmm. like this stuff. Or Kevin was just about to take over. Or Kevin took over after I got the job. I'm sorry for complaining it. But I was very aware once I got the job, this isn't going to happen. We're oh, <laughs> not going to make this. <laughs> like, I was so involved with Creative Committee. I had a very clear idea of what they wanted and where they were going. And right. horror movie, mansion horror movie, which just wasn't, I just couldn't fathom it being part of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but at the same time, uh, this is the one of the great honors of my career is that I'd earned my bones as a kitty pride writer to the point where they called me to write the movie. And I, I was, and I really wanted to write, like I really want to do it as a craftsman, as a fan. Can I do it? I don't write horror. Like it's like, it's kind of a horror movie, mm-hmm. right. Or a thriller, like a panic room kind of thing. Right. And that isn't my wheelhouse, but I can, I love them and I can do it. Like, so everything about it was a challenge that I really wanted. And it was like, how do we write a shared X-Men universe movie in a moment where the X-Men cinematic universe isn't fully formed yeah. or being shared or in a flux. I, I don't even know how to, how to call it. They, they don't have a center mm-hmm. and we're doing a spinoff. <laughs> and I, and I, I remember like even calling and going, Hey, who are the X-Men? Like, just like, like, <laughs> like, like who, who it's a great question. The X-Men? No, I'm like, and I'm yeah. not being silly. Like, is it Patrick Stewart's X-Men? Right. Is it, James McAvoy's yeah. X-Men like which is it and now they're all mixed up is it you know who, like can you guys just give me five like and also I'm like aware <laughs> from like previous things going on at Sony and at Marvel blah 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 mm-hmm. like I've seen writers trip on a pitch because they they included an actor that they're not gonna get oh, right? right yeah like it's not it's just not gonna happen yep. and nobody um you know and, and the writer would never know that like like that actor is now done with their contract. You so this pitch is dead to us or something, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm walking into an X-Men pitch and I'm like, well, if I if I say it's Magneto, but they that, that's going to, like they're immediately, if Magneto shows up on page one and they don't have a Magneto, they're going to throw they're gonna throw it away immediately. So I right. really call up and go, tell me who you think the X-Men are so I can just get, a, you know, get past that. And uh, so I, I, end of the day, I, I wrote my little heart out. I was deeply grateful because how do you hop off the Marvel hamster wheel after 20 years? And remember, I was on the hamster wheel running five, six, seven titles a month sometimes. Right. I'm, 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 I'm squeezing in a 40-year career into a 20-year um, span of time. And now I'm trying to wean myself off of that. Mm-hmm. I, I like, how, how do you do it? And also weaning myself off of something. I don't hate it. I don't, I, I, I love it. It's just time to go. So right. this, this script, this working on this for months on end, even knowing it's not going anywhere was such a gift because I got to wean my marvelness off of onto the mm-hmm. script and not onto Superman. Like, like I, like I right. could, I like anytime I was feeling Marvel itchy, I would just go right. Kitty pride. And not affect, not negatively affect what I was supposed to do in the DC universe, right? Yeah. So I was immensely grateful. And literally, as I was typing, Kevin was uh, like making his moves to like mm-hmm. uh, go where we're going with these phases. 
And as again, knowing what I knew, I'm like, never going to happen. And I handed <laughs> it in and they call me up and go, yeah, I'm sorry. It's never oh. going to happen. I go, yeah, I know. <laughs> and it was the weirdest feeling. Cause it was like, if you would have called and said, it's a go picture, I would have been really yeah. like, I would have been shocked to this day. Yeah. And, uh, and instead it was a grand writing exercise. I got paid for it. Hey, everyone bonus. was lovely. I, I got to really practice. And I looked at it as like, I, I want to practice as a screenwriter. It's something that, um, comic book writers it's a, it, even though there's similarities there are big differences in the craft of it so i just use it as a big old practice weaning myself off of uh uh writing uh exercise that well I got paid for. that's that's fantastic it's something that i, I, I wish can... it was more and i will say i i loved every second of it and it was written with a lot of like i i never oh they're never gonna make this all right it was right. You know what? I'm going to write the out of this, nah. <laughs> and, let them, and may I have a, a one of those never got made, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and if anyone ever finds it, like one of those any old Indiana Jones scripts, uh, you go <laughs> sit down. I, I, every once in a while, like someone forwards me, like there is a Robert Smigel Green Lantern script from 20 mm-hmm. years ago that was mm-hmm. written for Jack Black. It's one of the I love it so much, but it's like so. One day, some like reader at uh, uh, you know Fox will find my Kitty mm-hmm. Pride script, and maybe they'll dig it. So I know I know we're running up on time, uh, but I want to uh, just give you an opportunity. I know something you mean that, that was com- a very long answer for a very short question. No, it was, was a, a very long answer, answer and I want to respect the fact that you've got other things going on, and okay. it's still it's Friday, at, and you're on the West Coast, not the East Coast, uh, but. You know, you. I think comic fans can be a little myopic, and sometimes when a creator that they really like left a franchise that they're like, they may not always, you know, follow through or lose track of what's going on. You're doing some really exciting things over at Dark Horse. Uh, you brought your Jinx World line over there. You've started a new, uh, you know, volume of United States of Murder. What do you have going on over there that fans who may have just fallen off of the, you know, following? bend us through all the uh, Marvel stuff and the DC stuff. What do you have going on there that you're excited about that you think people would be very interested in checking out? Well, what originally got me to Marvel was my creator-owned work. I was making creator-owned graphic novels. Joe Quesada read them, said, get over here. And uh, so the DNA of my creator-owned work has always been over all of my mainstream work. And so, yeah, I mean, people who were digging my X-Men run with all my collaborators, I have a book at um, Dark Horse called The Ones uh, that I think people that, that you might dig. And it's about how every person in mythology that we're told they were the chosen one uh, has to get together with all the other chosen ones to defeat the actual chosen one. And it's a comedy, but it leans into uh, – a lot of things that were bubbling in me during my X-Men run and, you know, a lot of these grand story tropes of the chosen one that I always found hilarious. I mm-hmm. always have. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, that came out and people were really nice about it. So I, I think that would be one that people really like. but I also have, um, I have a newsletter at Substack mm-hmm. um, and in it, I'm doing a book right now called fortune and glory, the musical, and it's an autobiographical, book and it's a sequel to something I did years ago. But in this one, it's the true story of when I was the writer of the infamous disaster Broadway musical Spider-Man Turn yes. Off the Dark. I was only the writer for a couple of weeks and it was enough <laughs> happened where I could fill it up with a, a large graphic novel. So that is being put out right now uh, through chapters on Substack. And uh, I do for people who like yourself who like behind the scenes stuff, 
this is my best behind the scenes because I never told anybody except my closest friends what was going on. And uh, uh, so I, I do think people might enjoy that as well. But uh, for those of you like who just read X-Men, like almost every creator who works on X-Men also has like creator owned books that they do. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you reach out and look to see Jerry Duggan's creator owned work, uh, or, or Jonathan Hickman's who also has a Substack, you take a look, you're going to see um, so the same passion that they gave to the X-Men, but to new ideas and to new themes. And I, I think you'd be delighted by what you find out. So yeah, check out, check out everything we're doing at Dark Horse from the ones to Murder Inc uh, to some of our classic stuff like uh, Jinx. And, uh, and you'll see a lot of um, big ideas, big swings. And um, yeah, I'm just so happy that all my years at Marvel allowed me the privilege to just sit and create as much new stuff as I possibly can. And that privilege is enormous. So we, we give it everything we got. So if you want to see comics with people giving it everything they got, head on over to Dark Horse and look up your favorite creators and see uh, see what they're doing. That that gets about the largest endorsement that I could yeah. possibly give. Um, I, I just think we, you know, just since we're wrapping up, obviously our podcast is called Battle of the Atom. Um, I wrote a book called Battle of the Atom. Wait, did you? <laughs> <laughs> and it's no mistake. Um, so the reason I think we we picked it was not only because we're ranking all these stories, but we're we're fans of uh, of that run. Um, and I can speak personally that I think uh, your run and those two books really brought me back to X Men after a long hiatus. So same here, yeah, honestly. So I just wanted to take this opportunity to thank you. I appreciate that. I will, I will, I, I take that very seriously. And I will say that I remember my, my dear friend, Matt Fraction, who uh, was an X-Men writer before me, uh, actually, I will say just because I know his X-Men fans will enjoy this. When I decided to take the, the book, he came over here with a case of all of his X-Men uh, graphic novels and bequeathed them to me. Oh, wow. As if that was what X-Men writers do. He literally <laughs> handed me the baton. Yeah. And then when I left the book, I kept them. I didn't give it <laughs> But um, he did say to me, nothing makes people love your X-Men run more than leaving X-Men. Like mm. the only way to get people to like your X-Men run is to not do it anymore. Yep. And the whole time you're on it, they're like, no. And then it seems to leave. And go, oh, you should come back. So I deeply appreciate that. And it happened to me immediately online. Like the minute I left, uh, you know, uh, the people were very lovely, uh, more lovely than they were while it was happening. So it was, uh, um, it was quite something. And I, and I, and as an X-Men fan, I know all the emotions that you're, that you're talking about and it, it, thank you because that, that was the goal. So I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Brian, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Oh, this was absolutely delightful. Thank you so much. I, I actually was braced for, uh, uh, some, some, uh, some pokes. And I, uh, I, I appreciate you, uh, coming it's at a, me so lovely. It, listen, it's a gig and like legitimately, I own two pieces of art from that run. I own a <laughs> Stuart Eminem piece and a Bacallo piece. So like, it's something that means something to me, which is a weird thing to say as like an adult man. Like, Oh yeah, this, this hit me, but I no, I, we all have them and I, and I appreciate that. And I, I'm literally writing them hoping to get mm-hmm. that. So it, 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 it means the world to me. So thank you. Well, and, and just one, one last thing, I apologize. Uh, appreciate the time, but I do want to say, and I'm sure you get this plenty, to my kids, 
Miles is Spider-Man. And when I told them, when I told them like, oh, that's the guy I'm talking to, they flipped out. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, thanks for that. Thanks for everything you've Uh, done. It's 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 fantastic. A surreal hug that never ends. Like, I was like, I don't know how anyone else got through pandemic. I would just like hashtag Miles Morales birthday cakes and feel better about the world, (laughs) which I highly recommend, by the way. But it is, it is. And again, we're gearing up for another big wave with the, with the movie. Oh, yeah. A couple yeah. of weeks. I literally just last night got our invitation to take my kids to the premiere. Which oh, will cool. Be a big family moment. Uh, that it, Yeah, it's, it's, it's literally a hug that never stops. And I say that not to brag, but for creators that are listening to something like this and are lo- looking to create new things and just do it, just create new stuff because the, the opportunity for connection is – beyond what you could ever possibly imagine so that's and that's what miles has brought to my life and now i'm gonna go hang up and go have a burger king miles morales hamburger <laughs> with the red bun miles morales <laughs> tasty cake and uh pass out should be good really really honestly appreciate the time it was a lovely conversation thank you so much for ending my week so nice and we're back i can't believe that just happened i'm in awe and shock and and wow we folks, if you thought we were being coy on last week's episode when we said we might have a special guest, it's because we didn't know if we were, and we're very excited. Uh, it's great. Um, so so happy that we got to do this. But even though it even though it can pause for for the BMB himself, Ragnarok waits for no one. Yeah, we have we have work to do. We have more ranking to to do, and we have a dark work I think that we need to do. Yeah. So. Um, our second story is is also one that we tackled quite early that we divided up into chunks. Um, I think appropriate, appropriate chunks. Yeah, appropriate no, chunks. Stand by it 100%. Yeah. Um, however, I think that the, uh, the general impression of this story from X fans has kind of grown in estimation over the years. I think it... So I think that it had... When this story, it's Inferno, guys. We're doing Inferno. Sorry, let's just let's just get that out of the way so we don't have to talk about it. We're doing not the Inferno. whole Inferno, but the X-Men, the X-Men and, and X Factor parts. parts. The main yeah. the main chunk of Inferno. Yes. Uh, so just because I'm a broken person, I think about X Men fan reaction to things in terms of what podcasts thought about them at yeah. the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know, Jay and Miles had a very high esteem for Inferno. Yes. It was always Inferno, and I feel like that is that was a difference from the larger cultural conversation around Inferno, which was not the best in the world. Like it was kind of long, drug out, uh, pretty confusing. And I think I think Jay and Miles on their show pushed a lot of good points. And now we live in a cultural era where, for some people's hundredth episode. They can do eighteen hours worth of inferno in inferno related <laughs> talks. I'm talking about I'm talking about you, Connor. You know the bad boy of X Men podcasting is going with both barrels right now. <laughs> uh, but there has been a, a Maddie sense, um, you know, especially within the last couple of years, where people have started to really, especially with her coming back in Krakoa era, um, had an entire event based around her with Dark Web. I mean. Right, I mean, Maddie's I want to be deal. clear. I want to be clear. Go back to listen to episode twelve, and in fact, actually, roll the. Cl- you can roll the clip in just a second, Adam. 
Uh, but if you go back and listen to episode 12, where we first started this story, we do go on about on length about how much we love Maddie Pryor. Yes. Uh, so like, we were we were we were not late on the Maddie Pryor train. We were we were there chugging along just like anyone else who had read through all of Claremont's X-Men and said, actually, she rules. So on that point, before we, we start getting into it, let's go back in time and let's listen to our takes from six years ago on X-Men and X-Factors Inferno. I did a reread of X-Factor within the last year. Mm -hmm. And when I got to Inferno, I was like, I I know I've read this in the last few years. I can skip this, right? Like, I know there's a lot of build-up to it, but I want to get to some other stuff. I I don't need to read this again. I know Inferno is like, you know, highly regarded as one of the greatest crossovers of X history, but so much of this is a mess, but it seems like a whole, you know, like maybe Claremont went to see Ghostbusters and was like super excited about it. Like so excited about it that he decided to turn X-Men into Ghostbusters, particularly like the last 20 minutes of Ghostbusters. Yeah. I don't I don't think it works as well. I'm going to be honest. I think this might be my least favorite part of Inferno and it's the core part of it. So, this was like you said episode 12. Again, still in the bad mic eras. Some people might argue we are currently in the bad mic eras and always have never left and I'd say whatever guys. Mm, I think we sound to- good. We sound better than we did. I think we sound pretty good. Honestly, since you've started editing, it sounded so much better. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. actually produces things on occasion. Uh, But episode 12, first Halloween episode. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, right. Yeah. And the other milestone about this episode that I noticed Mm -hmm. uh, was that this is where we, like, put into play that, oh, wait, if we theme the episodes, they're better. Ah, we had done it for episode, I believe, seven, which was our anime episode. Uh huh. Yep. And then we had other stuff that we had planned. So we went back to that. We had an interview with uh, Eric and Julia Leewald from X Men, the animated series in there. That was that was wild. I still have like a signed page from the script (laughs) from them just sitting in my long box. I pull out. I was like, that was nice. Folks, you didn't get that. They were the sweetest people in the world and sent us thank you gifts for interviewing them. I mean, no other guest has done that. Just saying. I mean, we're grateful for all of our guests, but that sure was a surprise. Um, Listen, unless Brian's got something in the mail already, no one else. Don't know. Don't know. Don't know. Um, Don't know. But yeah, this was where we realized that wait, what if the episodes were structured around (laughs) one general? We got so close on the first episode because we were like, like we would start to do like two out of three being structured. Yep. yep. And then we screwed up the last one. I don't know why we weren't doing this from the start. That seems like honestly kind of a given. the most obvious thing. Yeah. Well, we, you know, we were figuring it out. And you know, it's it's uh it's so nice that you know after a while we didn't just have to do all the legwork and we had all you know the suggestions from the patrons so that our had... wonderful perfect patrons yes who have reached down into the hearts and pocketbooks. Throwing a couple of coins into our coffers at patreon.com slash comicsxf, $5 a month level, you can get an episode around one of your thoughts. Yeah. And if you're listening to the show for the first time um, and you would like your own episode, you know, Do that. sign up. Let's go. Let's get Let's crazy. Let's go. 
Let's uh, let's get weird. Yes, let's Just get like this story, weird. which is weird. Let's get real weird because Inferno. I gotta say, this time I had a lot of fun reading this. <laughs> I here's my interesting thing about Inferno. Let's go. After reading it and then re-listening to the episode, uh-huh. while I have specific things that I agree or disagree with old Zach on, mm-hmm. my general consensus isn't that far off. Because right now, I just, on the list, Inferno is at 136. Yep. Below Howard the Duck, volume six, eight to 11. Okay, okay. So that didn't win us any points there. Yeah. And above X-Factor 27 gifts. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not in a bad spot of the list. No, no. But the New Mutants part of Inferno is a, a lot higher. It's up in the 80s, I think, well, right? Because the New Mutants part is still the better part. We'll get to the ranking because I agree <laughs> with you. I absolutely agree with you that the, the, the uh, New Mutants part is better. However, however, got to say that I think I think I figured out what my issue with inferno is what's your issue with inferno okay so let's start with the positives let's let's do a compliment sandwich let's go positive criticism positive okay think first of all that sylvestri is killing it here like I we just recently did some later Sylvestri issues, right? Where it's bi-weekly and he's like struggling to keep up, right? Mm-hmm. And we did the whole stuff that's coming before the Muir Island saga. And I I think both of us were like, oof, I feel a little bad for Mark. Like, let's let's give him a breather, right? Here, yeah. dude. Mark everybody looks so sexy. Everybody looks good even when they turn into their demon forms or their costumes start getting shredded off. It's like, this just rules. Storm's right? demon costume is pretty good, actually. It's pretty rad, right? Storm's demon costume is pretty good. And I don't want to discredit Walt Simonson, who is doing Walt Simonson art. So it's exactly as good. Walt Simonson, not underrated. He is the most appropriately rated artist out there. I also was absolutely loving the simonson stuff this time around you know because it's a different flavor than what you're getting in the x books by by far it's different right Mm -hmm. but as someone who has only continued to just my love for walt and what he does just continues to grow and I, i i just think he's killing it too um here's where my my caveat comes in here's it here's our criticism part Right. Because it's divided between the two books, I still do believe that the story is too long. Oh, uh, you mean that we're only covering three issues each in this because that's the crossover proper. But there's like two issues, a uh, prologue and epilogue to each of these things. And also one of these three issues for each of the books is double-sized. Yes. And I would say that there is... I I said in the episode, so much of Inferno is a mess. And I think that's true because you got the demon stuff going on, which ties into the, we got to get the baby stuff back, Mm -hmm. which baby back stuff, not baby back ribs, just like (laughs) Nathan Christopher Charles, this brings County Sun summer. Nastir does not care if it's babies or baby back ribs. He just needs those babies in a pentagram. Nastir, 
<laughs> Nastir would get some baby baby back ribs if he wanted. He is a weird horse demon. Not the best weird horse demon that Walt Simonson has ever drawn, which no. is a wild thing. Yeah. Um, but it's a bit of a mess. You got that. You got the whole sinister stuff. You have the revenge against the Marauders for the mutant massacre. Yep. Which I feel like in this story feels more like padding than anything else because Mm -hmm. they are so quickly dispatched and it probably should be a bigger moment for the X-Men than it ends up being. Uh, You don't get in these stories everything you want. Because then on top of it is the whole Sinister and spending a lot of page time retconning Matty Pryor. Yeah, we get the entire... A lot of page time fixing editorial choices. Yep. Because we get the entire backstory of how Maddie was created, um, you know, how she sort of came into being, how Sinister has been playing this the entire time, all the way through Sinister blowing up the X-Mansion with the X-Men inside of it. Uh, So I think, you know, my major critique here is just I do wish, as I did back in six, six years ago, that maybe it was like an issue maybe an issue and a half shorter inferno could be tighter it could be it could be you could do this story more effectively with less page space because there is a lot of love like he's like i actually don't know if the x-men turning evil kind of sort of not really is even given enough page space to be anything but like this weird thing that kind of happens halfway through that is i think the weakest part of the story is the quote-unquote evil versions of the X-Men. Because I know you're saying it doesn't get enough page time like to be explained, but it also sort of feels like it's just dragging on a little bit because there's too yeah. much middle to the it's story. Just, it's just Claremont's doing a thing, and I'm not sure why one way or another, because he's not really doing it to say much about the X-Men characters. Right. I mean, he, it's a side effect of the city being transformed. You get you get a bit about him trying to say something about Dazzler, but mm-hmm. it's the most surface level read on Dazzler, and it's like, okay, Chris, we know you're better than this. <laughs> uh, I also did love, and I had kind of forgotten that Longshot really does get his due in those last two issues. As Longshot's sort of like pretty cool a, in this, yeah, it's fantastic. Um, so, you know, I'm I've always said on, on the show, and it's it's still true that I, I have a lot of love for the Aussie era, and um, I think that a lot of my problem with inferno in the past has been thinking that what's happening here with maddie is character assassination and i don't know if that's entirely fair i have and i think we i think we can see this in like our reaction very recently to putting 2099 world tomorrow at the bottom of the list versus uh the draco Mm -hmm. as i've come to the realization that character assassination is a made-up term that doesn't exist I, I still think it does exist, but it does require some some finesse and repair afterwards. But it's comics, right? It's comics, it's all it's all right. finesse. Like I just I don't. It doesn't bother me in the way that it did when I was younger, because now I'm like, yeah, but things will things will change. Things will happen. Like everything's always being different. Nothing will. You can never actually go back to that original status quo. And in fact, 
a lot of a lot of me in my experience with comics, especially as we're looking at stuff like such a shift with Krakoa and all that stuff in X Men. It's like I don't want to go back to an old status quo. Like I don't, and I don't even want to keep the current status. Quo. I want to continue evolving and changing stories. And there's more value for me, just like in Summer Special, on trying a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, why don't we give Maddie Pryor demon powers? Yeah, and give her a truly terrible like series of events that leads up to it and builds up to why she would do baby murder. (laughs) I also don't think it's hurt that because of what has been done with the character since. Right. And, and I, you know, like Maddie's fine now. Right. Like because the character has sort of been given a second uh, leash on life, Leash on life? Is that a thing? That's, no, that's not, but I'm, I'm letting you roll with what's it. The, what's the phrase? Lease. We're going to yes. get that in. I don't know what I'm thinking. I don't know what you're thinking. Well, I mean, it is man. it is Maddie. So, you know, if Havoc's Maddie's got a lot of leashes on a lot of lives. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, second lease on life, I, I think that helps too, because, like, you don't worry about this being like the destruction of a beloved character it's just a, another chapter in that character's life so you said it's where on the list i said it's at 136 right now and there's a lot of things that go into that decision back in the day first and these are things that i have written down as i have re-listened to that episode in first yes. mm-hmm. one i still own i think four copies of x factor 37 which while i Want to walk back the comments I made about that being the worst costume in comics history, uh, the <laughs> Maddie Pryor Goblin Queen. I can appreciate it now, though. I'll say that you know I still think that it can be emblematic of the way that female characters were drawn for a very long time. Uh, Maddie Pryor owns it now, and I'm like, go for it. Remember, there was that moment where, like. In the Dennis Hopeless Inferno, where they where they said they, no underboob, they said no underboob, and now they we're redrew like, the cover, and they're and like, now, now let's go. Now we're proud of the underboob. So underboob that, power. The cultural shift of all of us deciding actually no, that costume still rules, and <laughs> we don't have to pretend like it doesn't own. Like we can still say the Witchblade costume is bad because that's just bad design. Uh, yeah, yeah. And the reason why the Maddie Pryor costume rules is because when Havoc wears it. It also rules there. It's like, yeah. yeah, okay, this is great. This is giving everything we want. Love it. Uh, I still don't want people randomly giving me a copy of yeah, but how you, Factor how 37. Are you gonna get That's a the, weird gift. How are you going to get the fifth copy to open the portal to hell? I don't know how I'm going to get the <laughs> copy to open the portal to hell. I just, I'll buy it. I just don't need it as a gift. Like that, That's fair. Getting it as a gift, as like, okay, you don't have the context for what you're giving me. It's actually very empowering, but no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I, I like these <laughs> comics. Uh, you have also you have also mentioned, uh, even in this episode, that uh, the Australian era of X-Men was one that you were very beloved. So much yeah. so that you wanted to hunt down the Olivier Coypel cover to Brian Michael Bendis' Uncanny X-Men 600. Yes, absolutely. It's a did beautiful you ever, cover. Did you ever find that? Oh, I have it. Yeah. Okay, good. Because I was about to say, I was like, I know oh, exactly you're holding what mine it. is. Do you want it? I was like, I was going to be like, Adam, I can mail it to you. It's just sitting in a log box. I have five copies of Uncanny X-Men 600. Why? Not 100%. Sure. A lot of great variant covers. Um, there were a, a lot, lot of great, great variant covers. There's a Chris Anko variant cover yep. uh, for Astonishing X-Men that I left. I was like, dang, that one, that one is good, Chris. Yeah. 
So yeah, I think in general we mostly got the I think we got the neighborhood of the placement right. Yeah. But Inferno was one even when we were pulling this. I was like, I kind of want to go back because it's been a while since I've read it. I kind of want to like check. Are we I, good on this one? No. I want to gut check us. This definitely needs to go up. I think it needs to go up some, mm-hmm. but I'm going to say some things here. Yeah. It's at 136 right now. Yep. At 129 is Ultimate X-Men 1 through 6, the Tomorrow People. And I think this is better than that. Yep. Above that is friend of the show, Brian Michael Bendis's uh, Uncanny X-Men 5 through 7, the Limbo arc. Mm-hmm. I think this is better than that, though. I do, Boy, too. that Fraser Irving arc's real good. It sure is, but this is better. At 126 is X-Men Second Coming. Mm-hmm. Another event. Part of me thinks X-Men Second Coming is kind of better still. Interesting. So yeah, I was going to go higher. Where were you going to go? I was going to go top 100. Top 100. You were going to say above world. Okay. If it goes in top 100, like it has to, is this, is this better than the Shiva scenario from uh, Larry Thomas Wolverine? I think With it the is. Cover? I think it is. I think I, here's where, keep here's going. where I'm looking at 87. We have the introduction of Genosha, which right? is better. Which, which is, is a better, better story than Inferno. I would agree. And that happens, you know, kind of right before this, right? I Yeah, this is right before that? It is right before that. Yeah. And again, Sylvester's firing on all cylinders. Claremont's doing a really tight story there. I think that works really, really well. But I, you know, I don't think we're going much higher than that. I don't think we are. Do you? Honestly, honestly, Adam, I'm saying this, and I know that I am touching some great loves of yours and pulling out your heartstrings here. Yeah. Number 94 is Wolverine the Jungle Adventure. Do you think this is better than Wolverine the Jungle Adventure? (laughs) That's a real tough one. Uh, Mike Mignola art, Walter Simonson. I'm going to counter with this, because 91 is Peter David's X-Factor 87 examinations. I think this is better than that. As we have already proven in this episode, this list is somewhat flawed. Yeah, yeah. Though, I will say, Examinations is darn near the strongest thing Peter David has written. It's very With the solid. exception of his Polaris, which I don't think he's ever really written a good Polaris, which is unfortunate because he wrote a lot of Polaris. Um, also, at 88, which I think we were very hot on at the time. Uh, we the were first very hot on at the time. X-Men 92, Volume 2. I mean, come on, this is better than that. Folks, you have to understand what things were like in 2017 for X-Men fans. <laughs> it times. was really tough. Also, I kind of do love X-Men 92. Oh, still you love know, it. Every volume of X-Men 92 has kind of been the best thing for what it is. So if we put it at 88, that would put it right below both the Genosha arc and then at 86 is what if Wolverine was Lord of the Vampires? What if Wolverine was Lord of the Vampires is better than this? I I still, just for, you know, the sake of what we do here on this show, you know, I I, I, I think we got to give the edge to that. So I will. Okay. 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 I'm looking at this mm-hmm. at 92 is Planet X. I can yep. see the argument that this is better than Planet X. Yep. At 90 is Uncanny X-Force Final Execution, which I think we said is pretty good, but also a little too long. Yes. And has some flaws in it. Mm-hmm. 
love that is that AVX Sinister story. That's a lot of fun. Gillen. That one's really fun, and it is not too much. Uh, no. Whereas maybe if you were to do that story as like a nine, 10, 11 part story across a thousand years, it might be a little much. With artists who aren't Daniel Acuna, especially. <laughs> yes, but let's be clear. Gillen would never be able to do what he's doing there without this story, right? Well, no, it's a it's a call and response. To- yeah, absolutely. This is this is the original flavor, original recipe. This is the original recipe. Fine. I, I think we found the spot for it. I think it's 88. Fine. Fine. It can be 88. It can go above X-Men 92. A comic I do also have within arm's reach. It's right here. You're just, you're just keeping all your comics like just hanging. I didn't mean to have X-Men 92 <laughs> out. I just do. Like, I have a page from X-Men 92 on my wall. I really do like that book. I feel like there's more on your spinner rack today. Is that wrong? Or Did you, uh, did you load that spin- thing up? Or No, it's been loaded up for a little bit because my son kind of wants to read comics but doesn't know. So I've got X-Men 92. I have the Pizza Hut X-Men. I have uh, the first chunk of Squirrel Girl. Oh, nice. Uh, Spider-Man and the X-Men's up here. I also have What's the Furthest Place from Here, Volume 1, and Dead Dog's Bite. Uh, I had... Uh, Perfect for kids. Well, that's not for the children. Uh, <laughs> I I did have four kids walk into a bank on the same uh, rack as I'm nice. going through my Tyler Boss uh, <laughs> and Matt Rosenberg. Ufra. Listen, saw, I got a lot of stuff on here. Saw some Pizza Hut X-Men up there. You got yeah, some got good stuff on the, in the rack. I got a lot. I also have Kyle Stark's Sex Castle. Uh-huh. Uh, which is no reason. I just wanted to read Sex Castle again. And I have to remind myself. Oh, uh, man. All right, do we decide? Is Inferno could happening? be called Sex Castle. You know, it in a really different context. Yes. Maddie does have a Sex Castle. Yeah, this can be 88. Love it. I'm kind of surprised that was as much of a struggle for you as it was. It's just, I like Inferno. It's just not everything I want it to be. But do you know what is everything I want it to be? Our loving and adoring fans. Our listeners, yeah. They they get, they did a Q&A. Uh, and we we thought between these stories we do we do some Q's we do some A's yeah I'm excited uh, we did get get some nice questions and um, perchance some answers will be given yeah so do you want to ask a question and then I'll ask a question we'll kind of go back and forth absolutely we might as well answer as many of these as we can I mean it's we not got time we're not working on a tight schedule here we already yeah, answered uh, Jay's question. We didn't answer Jay's question. Uh, Austin <laughs> Gordon asks, what's your favorite 300th issue of anything X related or otherwise? Oh, I should have prepared for this. I mean, I know of uncanny 300 is fun. It has a really nice sparkly cover. I've absolutely not read amazing Spider-Man 300. I've absolutely not read Avengers 300. I I've read, I've read X-Men 300. That's X-Men good. Legacy 300 is better than. Oh, X- that's a good uncanny one. 300. That's the one. That's the one with Forget Me Not. I do like him. Good choice. Despite um, my wait, complex feelings towards Spurrier these days. Soggy, you know, is it Soggy Yojimbo up to three hundred yet? It's in the two hundred somethings. No, I don't think Asagi Yojimbo is not up to three hundred yet. But the answer will be Asagi Yojimbo three hundred when Asagi Yojimbo three hundred. I like the uh, Legacy one. That's that's a good answer. Legacy's a good pick. I'm just I'm I'm trying to think of other three hundreds. Yeah, like Fantastic Four 300s is kind of a non-issue. Is Avengers 300 a tie-in to 
Uh, no, it's not. I was about to say, is it a tie-in? Well, no, because of the double ship. We could just look. It is we an have... Inferno book. Avengers 300 is? Yeah. Yeah. Is that the one where Captain America has to get the... Yep. Okay, wait. Hold on. This one rules. Uh, Walt Simonson has a new team of Avengers, and they are the Captain, Steve Rogers, Thor mm-hmm. Odinson, Mr. Fantastic, the Invisible Woman, and Gilgamesh? The Forgotten One. <laughs> Gilgamesh from Eternals, I guess. Also, mythology. Sure, why not? Let's go with let's let's just say X Men Legacy. But let's be clear, I don't think there's a lot of good three hundredth things. Uh, not that I can recall. I mean, Amazing three hundred is fun, right? That's which a, one's Amazing three hundred? Wait, is that Todd the Venom? Mc, it's McFarlane. You know, oh, that black, one's black Spidey costume Venom. Uh, it's good stuff. That's a pretty pretty hard. High up one. Uh, also, Austin Gordon asks, "What's one '90s era gimmick cover gimmick you actually kind of sort of dig?" And I have talked about the Larry Hama die cast uh, die cut Wolverine fifty cover. That one rules. Um, the ones we're not supposed to like because they all rule. Anything that happens with embossing and die casting or die cutting, hollow foil, hollow foil, honestly, less successful than it could be most of the time. If there's like a sp- sparkly hologram, I'm in. I, see, there's I don't like, like a, the sparkly holograms that much. What about the, what about like a generation X number one? Like a, like a Those chrome. Are, that's like good. Embossed. You like that? I like the embossed. I have a, one of the earliest comics I've ever owned. Cause I thought it was the coolest thing mm-hmm. was silver surfer 50. Uh, oh yeah. That's a really good one. It's got silver surfer in a chrome embossed thing. Yep. And it's uh, it's a Ron Lim, uh, and uh, why am uh, I forgetting his Starlin? name? Who's, is Jim, Jim Starlin? Starlin? It's Jim Starlin. It's Jim Starlin. Uh, it explained. I did not realize that it was the direct lead into the Infinity Gauntlet when I was a child, but I did <laughs> know Silver Surfer's origin a lot. I didn't know why there was a Rock Man uh, yelling at him. It turns out that was Thanos. <laughs> and when I say Rock Man, I don't mean like i thought he kind of looked like the thing i mean he's made out of moon rocks for most of the issue yes yeah when he comes back it's true i should maybe maybe i should become a jim starling guy but i hate adam warlock so you got to read a lot of adam warlock if you're you hate Starling adam guy. warlock a lot but i love silver surfer <laughs> but i just read Silver. Sur- what if i just become a Silver surfer guy and said when adam warlock's around i can zone out a little bit <laughs> i could do that i also think anytime you put a hologram on a cover, I'm just a happy camper, you know, like fatal attractions. Just give me a hologram. I'm a happy guy. All right. So let me ask you a question. Okay. All right. Let's, let's go over to our buddy, uh, Tony here. Uh, brawl 20, 2099 asks, um, what series do you feel you haven't read enough of for the show? That's a great question. And the answer is X-Men adventures. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've not read enough X-Men Adventures. I know that. We haven't read any X-Men Adventures for the show. It's okay. We don't I don't want to. I mean, they're all just recaps of the show. Yeah, it's just like I get it. I know. Yeah. I know what it is. It's I could read it and there's I'm sure there is some value in it, but also mm-hmm. I don't want to. I think mathematically the answer is Excalibur because there are such huge chunks of that book that we have not touched. We've Oh gosh, you know. oh golly, oh wow, Adam. I don't want to read Excalibur. 
<laughs> well, and we're lucky that, you know, gosh, golly, while uh, covers Excalibur and, you know, we don't have to devote as much, but it also that's, you know, a lot of this just comes down to what people request. If people aren't requesting it, then it, why, it both comes down to what it? people request and then what me and Adam think about when they request them. <laughs> All right. Uh, Tony also asked, uh, when are you going to have me on? And, you know, you haven't, you haven't asked Tony. Yeah. Tony, Tony you're, you're our friend. You can just ask. <laughs> is, this, is this your way of asking? You can just ask. You're our friend, Tony. We're friends. <laughs> you're a comics uh, XF colleague and we would love to have you on. Actually, actually. Hey, um, I think Tony did ask a while ago and, and I have, cause I have this tab over here. And it says oh, no. guests. Yeah, Tony. Tony definitely said, "Hey, if you're ever doing a Spider-Man episode, have me on." Jeez, we just did a Spider-Man 2099 episode too. We could, uh, yeah, I did. honestly, Adam, I think this one's on us. I think we're bad yeah. friends. All right, oh well, crap. We'll we'll fix it, and we'll have to fix it. Well, Tony, 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 you'll be on sometime soon. If you, yeah, Tony, you'll be on sometime soon. <laughs> Uh, Asimov fangirl, the number one question asker of all podcasts that have ever existed, asks what I think is might might be the best question: Which X Men character who haven't appeared in Marvel Snap deserves a card ASAP? This is well, an excellent question. This is an easy question. I know what you're going to say. Oh no, I want to hear what you have to say. I I'm so fascinated by what you're about to say here. What I'm about to say. Yes, I want to know what X-Men character that hasn't appeared in Marvel Snap. Because here's the thing. Jubilee, very powerful card in Marvel Snap. A strong like yeah. midfield player in a lot of decks. Has Ooh, flexibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bishop is Not a bad. well-built... He's a well-built card for early in the game, and he's designed as a teaching card. And I can appreciate that. Like, sure. He is a good strategy for the first pool. But yeah. once you get into the actual game, it's tougher. Adam... With your faves already already picked. I know. Uh jeez. I don't want to steal yours because I know what I, I know what you're gonna say. I honestly don't know what you think I'm gonna say. So I'm I think kidding. you're gonna say maggot. Ooh, that is a good one. You know, oh hey, fun maggot story. And we may have talked about this on the podcast, but a different Marvel trading device game. Uh you know uh Hero Clicks? Yes, the little statues. The little statue guys. You know that uh, the person who won Hero a Hero Clicks tournament at some point got to design a new Hero Clicks character. Oh, really? And they picked Maggot uh, ah. <laughs> in a not. And I have confirmation about this because I believe they reached out to me at one point. Oh my god! Uh, I was not. I was not a uninfluential part of that decision. And here's the best part: it turns out. My understanding is that Maggot warped the Hero Clicks metagame with his unique powers and know. became okay. a central character or a central piece oh. in powerful decks question mark in sure. Hero little statue army. I don't I don't know how it I don't know how Hero Clicks works, but my understanding is that I accidentally may have influenced somebody who was good at hero clicks to make a statue that broke and the you game. screwed up the whole game. <laughs> I I'm, I'm not saying I did. I'm saying that I may have influenced some of these events. This is not as bad as that time that I almost influenced John Byrne coming back to X-Men. Oh, thank God for that. We were so worried. <laughs> I'm st- I still sometimes worry. Uh, oh, that was, 
And that was purely that was purely me saying, hey, what's this thing John Burns doing? That's weird. And then CBR picks it up, and then CB Sabolski picks it up, and I'm like, oh no. Yeah. Then CB Sabolski shaking John Burns' hand. Not good. It's like one, have you read a John Byrne comic in a little while? <laughs> Two, have you listened to John Byrne talk? Have it's you okay. gone to his forums? Don't. No, don't. 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 They don't like me there because There's of that. a lot of hate. Um, I know what my answer is. What's your answer? Warlock. Ooh, Warlock would be good. Come on. Get the technarchy in there. Let's go. Warlock, Warlock Let's could be interesting. Fun. Actually, as you're saying, Maggie, I think he could be he could be really good because you could do something like Brood or Squirrel Girl or Doom where you're adding tokens. Uh-huh. Uh, Add any and or you, Or you could do it from a destruction build. Like, there's mm-hmm. there's a couple of fun things you could do with uh, with Maggot. Uh, actually, what would be cool is if you had it that they would destroy, but uh, you had text on any mini that if they destroy a rock, they get, like, X amount of power or something. <laughs> That'd be great. I think that would be. I think that would be a great metagame card. Oh, uh, like it. W- it would only get some play, but it would be. It would have enough prevalence, especially against uh, certain decks. I was going to say Glob Herman just because I want him to oh. get the love. But now that you're saying Maggot, no, that's exactly the right answer. It's it know. has to be Maggot. There's Glob no would two be ways fun too, it. though. Glob Glob would be good in the way that like Marvel Snap has made people say, "Hey, who's this weirdo?" <laughs> Just shout out to Asimov Fangirl since uh, we're answering your question. Uh, you know, we've had the pleasure of meeting Asimov Fangirl at C2E2 and uh, just a delightful person. Really one of the best people. And hey, you, you guys remember the story questions. about uh, Chris Claremont and me fighting for a little while? Yeah. Yeah, she was there for that. Yeah. <laughs> just moments fun, in time. Fun moments in X-Men history. This is this is a question I'm going to read from a guy named Extremely Jordan. The second question is, what happened to the scrolls? Bring back the scrolls. And Adam, do you remember what happened to the scrolls? Uh, so for folks who maybe don't remember that uh, we were both impersonated by scrolls one episode. As a and... tie-in for the great secret invasion coverage that Shelf Dust put on secretly across multiple comic book podcasts and websites all at pretty... the same time. Pretty high concept, right? <laughs> Loved it. Immediately, St- Steve from Shelf Dust sent me a message. said, Zach, what do you think about this? And I said, number one, I love it. This is great. This is the best idea you've ever had. Number two, very few individual episodes of our podcast have led people to write negative reviews. <laughs> that one. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, well, I did ask you about this after this question popped up and I'm pretty sure we killed them in the episode. I feel like we murdered them. I feel like we did. Um, I feel like we like hit them in, in the head with the heavy objects. And Yeah. There were cartoon noises. If I recall. Yeah. Something uh, like that. I'm glad that people remember that though. That's a weird poll. <laughs> the other question it is a question for me, but I want to address this. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. How does Zach handle being the biggest and baddest heel in X-Men podcasting? And the answer is great because this is a one-way medium now. I do not interact with anyone. If people are mad about my hot takes, then I don't care. I have oh. I have broken these chains. Also, hey, guys, here's the, here's the dirty secret. Uh, I'm going to break kayfabe right here. I don't make fun of people unless I have at least a casual, like, el- either professional respect or like friendship with them. These are all just, these are all just jokes for me. 
when I'm talking about like other X-Men podcasting people and all that, that's just, that's just me having a goof. I just, I I need y'all to know that real quick. I'm just, I hope people know that. I think they do. I don't think anybody's mistaking this as like actual beef. (laughs) I don't know. I'm not a hundred (laughs) percent sure. I guess you never know. Hey, if you want to know why I'm not on Twitter anymore, it's because I did not handle, uh, anyone thinking that I'm a heel in a, in a healthy way. And I felt like the parasocial relationship aspect of Twitter was more bad than good at a certain point. Oh my goodness. All right. Uh, at trivia lad asks how many pouches is the right number of pouches? I feel like 99% of the time one, just one. Think about it. Like you get a fanny pack. Okay. I like that. When do, when do you need to double fanny pack? A very rare occasion. I mean, a fanny pack is a large superhero pouch. If you're thinking about a superhero pouch, right? I mean, like, eh, I want to say two to four. Two to four is a lot. Uh, Like two on each hip. You know? um, No more than that, though. Come on. No more. Um, Lucario, uh, the Pokemon, I assume, asks... Which stories that you haven't covered yet are you currently most excited to get to in the future? And the answer was 2099 for me. Oh, well, I mean, we still have some 2099 we have not covered. Um, we have. We what, do. What we should just let our, and I think we teased this in a past episode, but Zach and I have begun putting a spreadsheet together of things that we haven't talked about in six years that we still want to. And when I tell you, there is some crazy stuff on this list. <laughs> Folks, get excited. Buckle up because there I don't want to spoil a single thing that's on this list. But man, we are we are going into a new era and it's going to be nuts. We're doing it for us is yeah. the is the thing. By yeah. Listen. Here's here's the secret. If you pay us, we're still going to do it for you. Of course. But we've been doing this for six years, and this isn't actually a job. So we're going to do it for us. This is fun. And we We know, right, like, you know, we we have the format down. We know what the show is. We know what the show isn't. And, you know, there's just some stuff that we've been dying to cover. So uh, without spoiling anything, that is is your answer there, Luke. And, um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. uh, uh, Lucario's second question is, are the characters that you grew to like through the back reading for this podcast. Yeah, tons. Who have you grown to like, Adam? Well, I feel like, you know, we were just going off about Maggot. You know, I think I think I I I brought you around on Maggot. Yeah, Maggot has definitely, you know, been one. Uh Shatterstar has been another Shatterstar has been one for me, honestly. That I'm like, actually, I I kind of like some of this stuff. That that's a huge one for me. Um I don't I'm trying to think uh there's so many you know I, kinda, I just I feel like I have such a more comprehensive view of of the full picture so that I can really appreciate a character like Storm and how so many writers have not done her justice um I'll I'll say one thing for me is that I as a reader am a less character focused guy uh-huh. like and and that's not that's not in the way of I don't like character building and characteristics I I I mostly read literary fiction when I'm reading for myself. So I, I'm very big into what makes a character tick. 
but I am less of a, you know, like a stan for things than I was when I started this podcast. Uh, and even then, I wasn't like, I wasn't going to start the FES Cyclops Tumblr account. <laughs> it's Cyclops, my boy. He's my favorite. I, I love that. I love that silly little man. But yeah, honestly, I like Wolverine a lot now. Like, I, I liked Wolverine before. I've read a lot of Wolverine stuff where I can appreciate, like, sometimes Wolverine can just be dumb, and it's good. He still grows on you. And uh, the other Wolverine is uh, great, too. Yeah, listen, I just, I feel like I've started to appreciate Dude's Rock energy a lot more (laughs) as this podcast has progressed. It doesn't hurt that Ben Percy is absolutely killing it on Wolverine. Ben Percy. I think people needed a four years to realize what Ben was doing. It's amazing. He's had that opportunity to do that. Right. It's great. It's the best thing in the world. Well, let's do, you got, you got one and then let's do one each. Oh, that's all. Okay. Then you want to move on. All right. Well, I, I mean, we're, we're running out. And no, I know. Done. I know. There's some between you and me, there's some repeats on. Yeah. Okay. There's one here. I don't want to answer. Cause I would like to get paid to answer that question. Uh, about yeah, what my you. pitch would be. Um, oh, here's a good question. This is another another character question. This comes from at Lord Jason K. If you could pick another character to be as ubiquitous as Logan Wolverine, who would it be? Oh, that's a super easy question for me. It's Nightcrawler. I think Nightcrawler should be on everything and like where Cyclops is an X-Men character. And I like him more than Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler should Nightcrawler could be in Avengers, and I wouldn't bat an eye. Hey, you've been talking about that for years, and I, for one, for years, any opportunity for Cy Spurrier to not be writing Nightcrawler anymore. Oh, Stage Throne. Sorry, I'm tired of it. Uh, my answer to this question is nobody. Nobody should be as ubiquitous. And if we're gonna do it, it's got to be another Wolverine. Make it Lara Kinney. That's all. Laura would be a good fit, and I think honestly, she has gotten there. Do you know the character that I think in the time since we started this podcast that has gotten to that point? Um, who? Magic. Oh, Magic's Magic. Big. Strange. Magic Academy. is. She Not was in Midnight Sun. She was nope. in uh, Savage Avengers. Like Magic's just kind of showing up places and doing things, and I'm here for it. People love that Chris Bocciolo design. You know, it's, I get it. I kind of also like that design too. It's got the big Final Fantasy sword, and she's got yeah, like she's got like the hair things. Yeah, look, look, it's a good design. All right, give me one more, and then we'll then we'll move on to our final re-ranking. This comes from a friend of the show, Chris uh, Chris Edelman, who does say, "Did you ever consider Bofa instead of Boda?" And I don't know. I, I don't understand <laughs> battle of from Adam. I don't. I think he means the both of us. Both of us? The both of us. Both, both, of, these, both of these both guys of these talking guys. about X-Men? Yeah. yeah. Both of these guys. <laughs> both of these guys. Man, no, I think I think both of us can, uh, can talk about some X-Men, and it's been a pleasure to talk about X-Men with you. So much so, in fact, that we have to uh, talk about one more story. We sure do. Um, and this is one that you specifically have talked about needing to reevaluate. We need um, to take a second and understand personal growth and how tastes have changed. And in fact, make the most controversial move 
which I think is less controversial in the larger X-Men fandom, but is controversial in the larger people who read comics fandom. And I don't, I want to, I want to reevaluate one of the top 10 stories on our list. Top 10. Jeez Louise. I want to reevaluate number five, which is astonishing X-Men gifted by Joss Whedon and John Cassidy. Okay. So we talked about astonishing on our 26th episode and Zach, here's some history on that one is some context requested by kelly thompson yes two this was the first episode we started doing custom album art for every episode oh okay isn't that neat isn't that interesting it was right right into it was into 2018 uh but you know still within the first chunk of the podcast adam zach this is hard for me but would you like to let the listeners know what we said about this at the time i would love to so let's play that audio clip astonishing x-men by joss whedon and john cassidy is one of the most pitch perfect x-men stories ever Mm -hmm. i like new x-men better than astonishing x-men but I think in terms of moments, in terms of impact, in terms of memorability, Astonishing X-Men is in a class of its own. I mean, John Cassidy's art is gobsmackingly gorgeous. There's something very um, cinematic. And, and we, you know, people throw that word around as if like comic books need to live up to movies, you know, or vice versa, that movies need to live up to comic They're separate mediums. And there are things that comic books can do that films can't. And I'm convinced that if you tried to film that scene, I don't think it would have the power that those pages have. This is a comic I absolutely adore, and it gets a lot of praise for good reason. This is going back to basics done right. Mm -hmm. So, okay. I don't think that this is a possibly perfect story. I want to, I reread it and I want to be clear. I don't think that I do have some questions based on that episode though. Cause I did just listen to it. Yes. Adam, do you still love the TV show? The gifted. Ah, geez. I was really hyped up on the gifted for a while. You huh? were hot on the gifted. I think, uh, the second best X-Men show that was going on at the time. As we were just saying about our affinity for X-Men 92, we were really grasping, weren't we? I mean, it just was rough, looking it was rough, for rough the time. core heart of the X-Men anywhere we could. And honestly, I, I still enjoyed watching The Gifted. Am I ever going to revisit The Gifted in my life? No. No, I am not. I may someday finish like the last four episodes of the show that I've still never watched. <laughs> I've never finished season two. That tells you the answer to your question. Uh, season two about Reva Fage? Yes. Yeah. And you know, you know, the Morlocks are in that one, right? Yep. The Postman's in there. So I should, you know, I should be hyped to finally finish this. I, I what a weird friggin' show that was. Wow. Sage yeah. was a recurring character. Mm-hmm. Honestly. Here's the thing about that show, though. Great. Stepford Cuckoos. Uh Great Polaris. They got the names of which Stepford Cuckoo would do a certain thing wrong, but whatever. Okay. Doesn't matter anymore. They're all part of the hive mind again. Anyway. So we were very, we were very hot on this. And I had a lot of nostalgia for this because it was one of the first X-Men comics that I watched on Hulu. 
motion comics. The motion comics. <laughs> and just because someone might not have the contact, this stuff about this stuff about Josh Sweden sucking, uh, just being a real, real suckberg. Uh, that wasn't like it wasn't on our radar. It wasn't widely known. Yes. Uh, and I didn't pay attention to Angel, so I wouldn't know any any even rumors of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel like that needs to be that just needs to be like, hey, here's some context for why we were so like indiscriminately being like, yeah, Joss Whedon. And I honestly think if you weren't around in the early 2000s, you don't know how much of a geek icon Joss Whedon was. Uh, how big of a deal he was at the time and how big of a deal like him getting the Avengers movie was like, oh, they got someone who gets it for this. That was the that was the general tenor of the world. So rereading this was really interesting because really um, interesting, wasn't it? Yeah, um, because obviously I had not touched this since um, honestly, since I think we ranked it the first time Um, you have mentioned a couple times that you thought that it was that you know after after a few years of reflection that it was too high on the list and we, we will get to ranking it but i, I um, argued for it to be number 1 on the list i'm really upset about myself it's okay you know what like i don't want this to be cuz when we were talking leading up to this episode you had some very harsh words for yourself Zach. and um, i just had bad taste i i don't want you to beat yourself up about this because what we love when we're younger can evolve and I still think that there is a lot of really, really beautiful artwork here. John but... Cassidy, uh, if, if just to touch on the art for a second. Yeah. There are people who would complain that it's a little stiff and that it, there's not varied panel layouts or things like that. I agree uh, with that view of it, but also I think Cassidy's trying to do big, bombastic, widescreen comics at the same level of, like, what he did in planetary, what was being done in books like Ultimates, what was being done in Stormwatch. Like this is what comics were. They were huge. They were surround sound. They were widescreen. Like he's doing that. And there are some moments that freaking listen, there's some moments that rip in this. That yeah. fastball special, that rules, that yeah. double page spread where they're walking out in the costumes. Like I don't in respect in reflection i don't like the argument about oh we have to wear costumes or superheroes that comes right before it Mm -hmm. Uh, i do that page where they're all walking out and they look cool because they're wearing they're wearing x-men clothes i'm like okay yeah man those are my friends the (laughs) x-men so i think the art has still remained in my high esteem it truly has um i think what i noticed much more this time were the flaws in some of the the scripting, some of the characterization of certain characters. Are we talking about Emma? Because he actually writes a bad Emma. I want to talk about that because I was really surprised going back. I think one of the things that we talked about when we ranked it the first time was how we liked the dynamic between Emma and Kitty. And honestly, I think he just really doesn't do a very good Emma at all. I don't think he does a good Emma. He does a great Kitty. I'm... Dude, dude did how many seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer? <laughs> he's got Kitty Pride's voice pretty pretty well down. He's doing it okay, doing fine there. Um, but his Emma's weird, and his I Emma know- is saying things that Emma would never say, and is just acting in a very very bizarre way. And I I understand that she's also like 
leading into the second story where she's actually being possessed. But I, I just think there's something off. And I also agree with you that the whole, like, we need to be superheroes premise, but the, the thing that is aged, well, aside from, you know, like using the R word, uh, there's a couple other things in here that are, there's, that some, are sh- there's some stuff. Josh, that is early, Josh early. is showing, showing his hand a little bit, right? It was 2005. Taking the mask it, off. Listen, it was 2005. These were, I would, I will say that some of the language choices are what think, just how people talked in 2005, right, wrong, or not right, just is what it is. So obviously that has aged incredibly poorly, right? Not great. But I think the overriding backstory of Ord and Breakworld sucks. I think it's aged really, really, really badly. And so as I found myself still being interested in Rao and the cure and all of that, uh, dealing with this other part with this guy with like a metal disc on his face and some whiskers, I just don't care about, don't care about break world. Doesn't work for me. I don't know. I think that Whedon in this has a lot of good character voices, a lot of great moments. Mm hmm. Great beats. The actual plotting is pretty bad, and especially the resolution of this story sucks. Like it just, it just okay. It's issue six. We have to end it now. Mm-hmm. It feels, it feels very anticlimactic when you, uh, when you read that. Yeah, and I just it's like, I'm not that into Break World, but at the same time, like there's some stuff with Kitty that's really good. That. That scene with Colossus being resurrected. It's an, it's outstanding. It truly like incredibly good. That's just great comics right there. That's that. So there's stuff that you remember that elevates this yeah. above the rest. It feels to me, this is a comparison for the other comics reading our audience. Mm-hmm. Actually, now that I think about it, these books came out almost at the same time, which is wild. This is like Batman hush for X-Men. Oh, it's it an is, interesting comparison. I think it's a great first X-Men story. Like, if you mm-hmm. wanted to be like, this is modern X-Men, like that's a pretty good jumping on point. You go back to Batman Hush after reading other Batman things, and you're like, actually, I don't like this. Actually, <laughs> I see a lot of I see a lot of the warts on this one, but the art is gorgeous. It is it's a beautiful book. It does most of what you want in X-Men. Like you get a lot of the stuff. And there's a lot of there's a lot of like heck yeah moments in it, but it's not but as it's, good. It's still just playing the greatest hits in a lot. Really of is, really is. So, what's innovative about this sword? Abigail Brand is great, actually. Sure, hats off. Love, love Brand. Um, great idea. Yeah. So I want to dispel the notion that I I think there might be listeners who are who are hearing us reevaluate this and thinking, okay, well. You know, obviously, Joss Whedon's public, uh, you know, facing uh, his actions, his, you know, the way the public considers him has changed dramatically and for the negative. So, of course, they're going to think less of this story. But I, I also think just from taking let's let's take his, you know, his awfulness aside for a second. And I'm not I'm not saying that we know what you mean here. I'm, I'm just, I know what you mean here. I'm and if our, if our listeners to... don't, we can sit down and I can walk them through right. how 
I just want to be putting something aside for a second to make a larger point yeah. and then bringing it back in, in the yes. context of what we've been doing for six years now, right? This idea of us sort of, at least for me, especially uh, as the ex newbie. And that's sort of been my role on this. I've learned so much more in the last six years about what X-Men is and all of the different kinds of storytelling that it presents and what it's known for and what feels like X-Men and what doesn't feel like X-Men. And especially with the Ord stuff, it doesn't feel like X-Men as much as I would have liked it to going back to it a second time. It doesn't. Uh, I said at the time that I said, I said this was that the, that the Whedon run wasn't better than the Morrison run, and I stand by that. I agree. I did say that this was better than Ryan and Xavier's, and I'm sitting here like, no. No. One, no. one I do think I appreciate Frank Quitely a lot more. Uh, as I as I age, the, the sheen and the perfectness of a John Cassidy, who's a fantastic artist, it doesn't hold the same level of like appeal to me as someone like a Frank quietly, who's doing something interesting with the mm-hmm. art and evoking a very specific emotion. Also the plotting's just not as good and not what's the story about here. That's a big thing. What is the theme of gifted? Let's go to English class. What's the theme of this story? I think the theme is that strangely enough and spoken by Emma is that the mutants need to fit in. And need to show the world that they can fit in and that they can promote peace and be sort of a a symbol of being docile and being helpers to society as opposed to, you know, as a counter to being outcasts. And I don't disagree with that read of the story that that's one of the themes of the story. How did Ord fit into that? Uh, how does well, the actual plot fit into, how does that serve the larger the larger thematic elements that Whedon is trying to I, it doesn't his audience. I think that's, that, that's that's the problem with yeah. this story. Where first of all, I don't agree with the theme. And they look I think they know. Yeah. But I also think we've that, already already, Adam, we have already verified your feminist uh credentials on this <laughs> podcast. You are the perfect, perfect uh East Coast elite. Jeez. Turned into Tucker there for a second. Uh <laughs> um but you know i agree with you that what i what i think the ord stuff is doing there is is it it served as an excuse to do that great colossus scene and then he also realized oh wait i actually have to pay this off now yeah so it it doesn't work well i mean as as well as it should why would for the cure part of this why would the cure need to be bankrolled by an alien doesn't need to be at all I, I just it's actually more interesting if it's not it is know? it is in fact better if it's just like right this it's is like why reverence this is why orcus works good love, god loves man kills were like financed by bigfoot or if he would uh start worshiping satan and become a devil <laughs> robot <laughs> build build hulk marines at oh we forgot adding it to the ideas list we, you know how much Marine content we could get? 
<laughs> Adam, we're doing a Hulk Vereen one. At some I know point. the I know the listeners are just like begging for that Hulk Vereen content. All right, so they've got a fever, and the only prescription is more Hulk Vereen. Oh my god! But legitimately, I think this is why Orcus, as an entity in the current X Men stuff, does work as a better villain mm-hmm. for X Men because they are diametrically opposed to them from a thematic standpoint. I mean, it's part of the reason why, you know, we've talked about how Dark Phoenix Saga is great. It's Dark Phoenix Saga is a great superhero story as an X-Men thing. Like if you want to tie into the whole world that hates and fears them, the Hellfire stuff's a little interesting, but they, they actually get more interesting as a foil later. Uh, and the Shi'ar stuff is just superhero fun. Yeah. Like where Orcus and the Sentinels and stuff like that, those are, very relevant thematic parallels to the X-Men in a way like Magneto is, for example. Like, and Ord isn't that. No. Which is weird. Yeah. So I'm going to let you steer this uh, sinking submarine here. And um, right now, Astonishing X-Men Gifted is all the way up at number five. It's not, it's not the fifth best X-Men. would like you to tell me where it does belong, Zach. Okay. So here's... Where I think it has to go, based on the context of this list and how we don't break things, mm-hmm. because while we have been we have been critical of other astonishing X Men stories, yes, this is still the best of those four. Uh, that is true. We did astonishing X Men starts the strongest. It does start the strongest, and it does. It doesn't have some of the weirdness of dangerous or torn, and it has less break world than unbreakable mm-hmm. or unstoppable, whatever it is. Um, this is not as so that's at 61 is torn, which is our next Joss Whedon astonishing. And this is better than that. It is not better than Brian Michael Bendis's arc with the good speech from uh all new X-Men, where Brian Michael Bendis says, actually, I can write a good kitty pride. And that is at 59, and I totally 100% agree. For all the good that Cassidy's art is, Eminem's still going to kick Eminem's. his butt any day on that arc. Yeah, listen, Eminem's on my wall. Cassidy's not. That's yeah. it. Uh, so the, and I guess the question is, below that is X Club, which I know you love. So In our, in our recent critical reevaluation of the writer of X Club, it has made me not want to go and do a rank rank and rock art X club just in case. Like I, I want to keep, I want to keep it in my heart. I still love Doctor Nemesis. Yeah. In fact, I I love the Doctor Nemesis has a mushroom thing going on because it's just like two great tastes. It actually <laughs> makes me a little annoyed that I don't like Nemesis Mushroom Man more than because Adam, you know me. That's like I know. It's like two great tastes together. You, it's you know. those. That's. That's my stuff right there. Yeah. Weird mushroom stuff. Yeah. You know, my kids got me a mushroom lawn ornament recently and not a, not a tacky one, not like a cheesy one. It's just like, like a, like a cement moral mushroom. It's amazing. It like they, they made sure. No, dad doesn't want like a Mario mushroom. He wants like a nasty <laughs> mushroom. He wants a gross mushroom. <laughs> Uh, uh, but if I'm if I'm going with my gut right now, I'd rather re- reread X Club. All right. So that pushes it from number five. Well, actually, hold on. Move it first. What does that yeah, do? Um, it makes it number 60 because everything moves up. Yep. One. Okay. And that notably 
also means oh we have a new we, oh, have, we have a new, new number 10 a new entrant into number 10 which has been on or in the top 10 in the past because we have in fact added a few stories to the top 10 in the last spell yeah i say spell i mean ever since we redid the website and now the top 10 is a pain to change <laughs> it looks great but it is like i have oh, to sit down jason. and <laughs> jason large you know you're my boy yeah. um it does take me like 10 minutes to change the top 10 now which is fine this is i appreciate it it's why we don't make changes in the top 10 block. so yeah so back into the number uh, the top 10 at number 10 is the uh morlocks arc of uncanny x-men 169 to 170 which involves the storm and callista knife fight paul smith uh well earned welcome back welcome back and that that does it adam we've We've done a whole episode. We 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 survived Ranknarok. We uh, we ranked. We rolled. We re rankinged. Uh, pretty good. Pretty good spell there. We talked to our hero. Uh, the inspiration of this uh, of our you know eponymous podcast. Bendis did choose a. Uh, I don't even know if Bendis named it. Battleion is a great name. It's why that I stole is fantastic. It. That's an awesome X Men name. It's so good. And we took it from him, and now it's ours, and he can't have it back. I don't yes. think he wants it back. Marvel may want it back. 300 episodes, 777 X-Men stories ranked, several re-ranked. Adam, it's been a true pleasure. I know we say this at every milestone, but there's no one I'd rather be talking about X-Men comics with, my dude. I'm pretty sure you say that every week. So, you know, the same is true for me. Because uh, I don't this... want to talk to anybody, but like, it's like, there's like 10 people that I'll talk X-Men comics with at this point. <laughs> but the I'm rest the of top. you are great. It's not about you top. guys personally. <laughs> it's just it's me it's me i want to be a hermit i want to live in your earphones and that's it i mean i've said this before i'm gonna say it again this podcast means a lot to me it has literally changed my life in ways that uh continue to astound me so you know here's to 300 and uh let's keep going man you know we still have but to rank every have to story do 300 more oh my gosh <laughs> we'll see that's we'll see so many that's so much <laughs> we've done all the good ones we're well that's not necessarily true. We got we got some other good stuff coming. We got okay, some really joke, fun stuff. Okay, you joke, but you did have to start making a list of okay, what's the good ones we haven't done? Oh we, yeah, so, we have to preserve our good ones, listeners. Just so you know how psychotic I've gotten with this, I now created a spreadsheet of what we haven't ranked with the major series, and um, that that's consuming. Um, that means that the next three hundred episodes are all going to be the weird ones, folks. <laughs> so unapproachable. That's going to be our podcast. Yeah. Um, I do want to note before we go that the same week this is coming out, I uh, am guest hosting on um, Gosh Golly Wow with my one and only Anna Papard. Um, we are talking about X-Man alert, X-Man. X-Man uh, update. It's called X-Man update. We've been doing this show for six years, Adam. And we I did the alert? X- you said alert. Do it? Can I no, do it again? No, this is all staying in. How in the world? Do you mess up the do to do do to do to doots? Maybe I'll just edit you in there. I'll edit. I'll edit your do to doots. Anyway, you could. A real fun episode. Check it out. And uh, Zach. Oh, should I say my socials? Uh, Instagram Adam Direct. Uh, Twitter at Arthur Stacy. Zach, you don't want to be found ever. And never uh, want to be found again. This is already we, too much. Do we know what we're doing next week? I don't even know. I don't. Think yeah, we have, next week, do my we have dude. A plan? Yeah, next week. Uh, so here's the thing. We've done. We've done 300 episodes, and we've been on a lot of roads in that time. Mm. Um, but 
do you know where do you know where our next road leads oh are we going to the ultimate universe it does and because of that adam and because because we're on that road to 316 brother we're entering it it took <laughs> us a while we're in our attitude era now the boatitude at it era yes <laughs> can i get a hell yeah hell yeah folks <laughs> this has been the best experience of so many lives i assume i assume all of you are just as happy for 300 episodes as we are but truly 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 i still can't believe there's people who wake up on monday and it's like i want to listen to these guys it's great I will, it will never cease to amaze me. And I'm so glad uh, to have this podcast. Uh, so thank you so much. Thanks uh, everybody. Please, please tolerate that. We're going to talk about comics again. We're just doing the weird ones now, folks. <laughs> Until then, this has been battle of the atom. And I know, I know you survived the experience. Get it.